This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where one pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey. It is a Wednesday evening and that means one thing. It is time for the college football podcast. Hola, senor, senior. Ryan, as one journey ends for the Detroit Lions this week in heartbreaking fashion, another begins and that journey is the path to the draft. It is... Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl week. This is one of the biggest weeks in the season going up to the draft where prospects hopes could be made or broken. There's a lot going on. It's really interesting stuff. Um, we're going to be looking at Senior Bowl today, but it's a fun time to be a draft guy. Yeah, it's kind of the premier event. The, the Reese's Senior Bowl, like I say, it's very well presented on social media. You get the, the household names. That the Shrine Bowl and the East Bowl doesn't really get. These are the guys that are like the ones that are like your second rounders that probably want to be first rounders or thirds on be seconds. Like they'll all get to the combine pretty much all of the big pro days. But yeah, this is where they get to meet NFL coaches and work out with NFL equipment and get tested like actual NFL players, not like stopwatches, none of that. Like there's no lying here about your 40 or your height. Because the measurements have already come out and we already know who, well, is a short ass. <laughs> this is one of my favourite parts of the year, simply because we get to see how much schools lie when it comes to their measurements. And you think it's kind of an odd thing because they're damaging the prospect. They're damaging the prospects of their kids by giving them these heights, measurements, whatever. And then they come to the senior ball right before the draft and they get blown out the wall. The most famous one I've seen so far Jacob Cowing, the wide receiver from Arizona, 5'11 on his school portfolio. They said he barely hit the 5'8 mark at the senior. Ball. I mean, that sort of stuff, it shouldn't. But there are a few teams in the NFL now who are going to have chucked his name off their board because he's now 5'8 and not 5'11. It's um, It just doesn't feel right, does it? Yeah, and it just doesn't make sense. Like a school like Arizona has got a laser measurement. Like the, the moment he gets he gets to school, just <laughs> put his actual measurements in. Like ESPN. Like if you check that stats page, I don't trust any of that. Hit white heights all weight. They're either a lot lighter because they were weighed with a refreshment, and they've gained like twenty thirty pounds. Oh, they're two or three inches shorter because no one's ever tall. No one's ever really taller than they're listed. Because that's just not a thing. No, no, you can't just add a few inches on there. It's it's no, always the opposite direction. That. That's kind of the rule of them. I mean, maybe, you know, they go in there as 17-year-olds to think, oh, they might grow another few more inches before they finish off, but not always the case. So also it's just... Hand size, that, that is always, that's one of the biggest measurements guys look at. 
Yeah, hand size, wingspan, all that. So it, it's one of the most fun things to do during this week is just to see the measurements, not even the players, but to see the measurements and see who's lying, who's telling the truth a little more. But anywho, I digress. Um, thank you to everyone who has joined us this evening. This is the, the first live iteration we've done of the College Pod in some time. But obviously the Lions season is now over. We're only streaming once a week. So we start streaming this again. Maybe a few times, but uh, thanks for everyone who's joined. Mile Mark is in the building. Brent is in the building. Hope you are doing well, Brent. I'll log into Twitch in a minute um, because I've completely forgotten how to do this and I will get into all of you guys in there. But today, as I say, it's the All-Star season. Last week, we looked at the Shrine Bowl roster. The Shrine Bowl is ongoing at this moment in time, as is the Senior Bowl. We picked out some of our favourite players from the positional groups of these things, told you a little bit more about them, why we like them, the guys you should look out for. And we're going to give the same treatment to the Senior Bowl today. Um, just first, we'll go through all the housekeeping stuff, and I'm having to do this from memory because I don't have a prep document today. Uh, the Rural Lines UK Discord, if you want in on that, let us know. We'll send you out a link for that main podcast. As I said, the Lions season is now over, so we will be back to Mondays only for now for the main Detroit Lions podcast next week. I believe we will be doing our season. Oh, no, it's the NFL Super Bowl preview next week, and that's going to hurt even more because we were two steps away from it. So come join us on Monday for that. Don't forget to like and subscribe to everything, Twitch, YouTube, all that good stuff. Uh, we really appreciate it for us. We're only about 15 subs away from one and a half thousand on um they're currently on youtube currently so if we could reach that pretty soon that would be awesome uh all goes towards helping to grow the channel um lions nation unite don't forget about that herman moore's pet project to bring together the best in con lions content creation over youtube land for the detroit lions and don't forget we've got a merch store we've got feedback form as well so if you want to let us know anything about the shows then uh Fill it in and we shall take that advice on board. Don't forget we're YouTube monetized. We have a tip jar, all that sort of stuff. So if you want to help us that way, that's great. Uh, but we just love having you all in the building. Joshua Mercer's in the building on Twitch. Hope you are doing well on there. Got anything you want to ask us whilst we're on the show, just let us know and I'll get round to it there. Right, let's crack on. Because as I say, we've only got one agenda this evening and that is to go through the Shrine Ball roster, pick out some guys who we like and tell you about them. Um, so, senior, senior. senior. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just getting it. I'm just getting it. We did the Shrine Ball last week. You can go back and check that episode out. It's great. We're doing the senior ball this week. Let me just get my roster up. So, as always, we're going to go through the positional groups. We're going to pick out our guys, chat about them, and then move on. And then, as I say, if you've got any questions, let us know. So, we're going to start with the quarterback class. And I will preface all this by saying the roster. There are people dropping in, people pulling out, people coming in. So it might not be 100% accurate, but it is as accurate as I have. I've tried to be as accurate as physically possible. He's not even there. He was, oh. he was removed like yesterday on the first day. He well, we can, still, we can still talk about him. We'll just <laughs> pretend that he's in there. So, you know, you, you get in-depth drafts. I might not be here. I have not checked. I just went to find him and I could say he was missing from the list yesterday, apparently. Six of them went missing. I've, I've lost one, so... How it's done, I've done like an all, all-star all team, 22 players. It's 21 this week because Cedric Van Pram pulled out. So uh, I didn't do anything about him. Um, and then Ryan's picked out guys from each position as well. So we're going to start with the quarterbacks first. So 
Senior Bowl, Sam Hartman from Notre Dame, Joe Milton III from Tennessee, Bonix from Oregon, Michael Pratt from Tulane, Spencer Rattler from South Carolina, and Michael Penix from Washington, him of natty fame this year. Ryan, who have you been looking at in the quarterback room? So I picked I picked Bonix. So he's measured up. He's another guy that has already come in short, and I was like, "What?" Well, he is six foot one and seven eight. He's two hundred eighteen pounds. He's got a thirty and one quarter inch at wingspan. Nine points. Nine. They love seven eights. It really annoys me. They do this all the time. Nine and seven eights hands and a seventy four point three eight wingspan. So yeah, between Auburn and Oregon, five years. He went 12 86 of 1936 for a career uh, passing percentage of 66.4, a casual 15,352 yards, and a ridiculous 113 touchdowns to 26 interceptions. That is it. He will be 24, apparently, on the day of the draft. That makes him one of the older players in the class, one of the older players in the nation. But with what you're getting, is a guy that is pretty much already a backup in the NFL with high upside starter. I think he is will, will be going at the end of the first round. I say he has got great he's got good to very good arm ten talent and strength. Not elite and he knows that, but he throws a very tight crisp ball. I say he's good when he's on check downs and across the middle. He's got good reads. He sometimes likes to pump fake a bit too much. He double clutches sometimes when the read's there. He'll pull out and he'll go to his next one when he could have taken a strike. But overall, if you're looking for a guy that is very well polished after five years, has got tons of experience in big games and across big products and playing with big players, he's probably a guy, like I said, he's sitting for a year, like I say, and I reckon in a year's time, coming into 2025 season, there's a good chance you've got a a starter there ready. Right, so he's very polished. He's deceptively agile and good with his feet when escaping the pocket. He can punish you and he can throw on the run. So he's quite a mobile, almost dual threat guy. But yeah, this year he really did kind of like improve the stock. I say he went out, I went in a really stellar year for the Ducks and showed that everything he needed to do. And for someone that just protects the ball so well, rarely will he cough it up. And very rarely will he throw a costly interception. I say it's either don't get there or the arm's a bit short or it's on target. There's not a lot in between them. Very puts, often does not put the ball in harm's way. So, yeah, he's very well-rounded. Pretty high floor. Not sure about the ceiling, but, yeah, he's a safe product. And I think, yeah, I reckon he'll go, like, between, like, 25 and 40 something like that, and he can stash him for a year. See, interesting, because I've picked his arch nemesis, who's probably going to go in a similar area to that, maybe. But I've got Michael Penix Jr. here, and I, I've really enjoyed watching Washington, Kalen DeBoer, all that. They've been one of my favorite teams going, and he seemed like the right guy to do. So he's a six-year guy, uh, four years at Indiana, like that time in the Big Ten seems a lifetime ago now. When he moved to Washington, there was like no fanfare, no nothing. There wasn't really much about him. Then he had the two years at Washington where he's just gone absolutely insane. He's 1,067 
completions on 1,691 attempts is 63%, 13,727 passing yards, nearly 10 of them came in his two years at Washington, 96 touchdowns, 34 interceptions. He's 6'3", 213, his measurables came in correct for a rare change. Penix is a stand and deliver pocket passer, and I don't use pocket passer as a an insult. He's really good at what he's like. I say four very nondescript years in the Big Ten. Eyebrows are raised when he moved to Washington, but he's pulled off a magnificent renaissance job to become one of the draft best prospects in terms of quarterback. He's headlined by that explosive big play arm of his. So he had forty three big time throws this season that was nine more than the next guy who i believe was jalen daniels like that's just how many big plays he's made this year very intelligent in the pocket spreads out his passes like you think of the receiving options he's got there but even that he uses the tight end on there he's got four receivers he uses quite often that offense it's spread everybody eats he's really good at spreading it all over the field the passes you know, he can throw it into a really tight window with zip. It's on a wire. Like, that's when he's at his best, when he's in the pocket, throwing into a tight window. Honestly, it looks fantastic, half of his throws do. Great at identifying and beating the blitz. He doesn't run. This this isn't like a thing of his. He doesn't. He's not a dual threat. A lot of people think he's a dual threat. He's not. He's got 13 rushing touchdowns. He can use his legs. But he <laughs> seldom does. But when it comes to beating the blitz, identifying the blitz, getting himself out of pressure situations, He's actually really good at that, and you kind of saw it against Michigan in the uh, in the Natty game as well. He was running for his life in that. He can do it as and when he needs to. But say thirteen rushing touchdowns when he gets into the red zone, they do use him in his legs because he does have that ability there. He's best pure pocket passer in this class, as far as I'm concerned. He's he's kind of like Jared Goff in a way, in that you keep him clean, let him do his work, he'll do a lot of damage. But he's slightly more mobile. You get him out of the pocket and you disrupt him, though, and that's where the problems come with him. When you get him off balance, when you get him running out to the perimeter, some of the throws can get really wayward. There's a lot of picks in there, and that's where a lot of them come from. And the injuries as well are the biggest issue with him. Six years in college, four of them have ended with career-ending, with career season-ending injuries. He's had a lot of problems. He's been a lot better at Washington. He's very tough. You saw him at the end of the Michigan game. He was beaten up and he finished that game, but he takes a lot of shots and he's taken a lot of punishment in college. So his medicals will be a big part of his evaluation as well. If he can pass those, there's no lingering damage going into the NFL. That will be really big for him. He's also one of the older prospects, been a six-year guy as well, but I really like Penix. Not going to be for us, obviously, but I think he's going to find a starting job sooner rather than later in the league. Hopefully on a team that can protect him, let him do what he does best and gives him the weapons to do it with. I think he's going to be absolutely great. So it's going to be interesting, isn't it, right? Penix and Knicks. Like, if you were asked who's going to be drafted first, I probably couldn't give you a concrete answer right now. I'm not sure. It feels like whichever team wants them baddest and will go up to get them. But I don't think this helps separating them draft stock-wise. No, and for me, they're polar opposites as well. Bo Nix is... Bo Nix second-guesses himself because sometimes he's too conservative, whereas Michael Penix Jr. at times is reckless. Like I say, he can make the bigger, better throws. He's got the better arm. 
but he will turn the ball over more than Ball Nicks. I say fumbles or interceptions. He will have those throws where he's like, shouldn't have done that, that was a mistake. Bonix often don't have them, but that's why I think I think Bonix is safer, but I think for the passing offense of the league, I think Michael Penix Jr.'s arms are a lot bigger than Bonix and Morris. I think he I say and, and bigger than Goff. I think Penix can hit that deep ball in stride probably better than both of them. So yeah. I think it's risk free reward. I say for all we know, Michael Penix Jr. turns into Jamius Winston. He'll throw you a hundred touchdowns, but he'll throw ninety picks as well. And there'll be awry throws. And it's not the worst like comparison. Like I say it's it's gonna be boom or bust. Whereas Bo Nix could be a lot more reserved and he might just Yeah, it might be easier to kind of like bottle up. So yeah, it depends what kind of style you want. I read somewhere but Bo Nix is like the ultimate game manager. That's what someone said. Whereas Michael Penix Jr., yeah, he's probably more boom or bust. So yeah, but uh, that makes him kind of fun. I don't think they're all alike, yeah. And I think, yeah, they'll go very close together. If not, back-to-back. If one steals one, someone then instantly trades up and takes the other. Yeah, I I could see that scenario happening where they go back-to-back as well. But they're certainly two of the most... Two of the most promising guys in there. Well, being older, they have to start pretty quickly. Yeah. They've got to be the team that either needs a starter now and you just take the growing pains. The or age. you've got one-year guy stopgap and then you just throw them straight in, sink, swim. Yeah, exactly. Because they're, they're kind of hooker's age and we took hooker in the third, so it doesn't really matter as much. But if you spend in a first, you're kind of under obligation to start them a little quicker. So maybe like the Seahawks or someone like that sitting behind Gino. Like, he could end up one of those, you know, they're both from over that part of the world. I mean, Penix is quite local to them. So anyhow, we will see with that. Let's move it on to the running backs. And a um, couple of them pulled out, but Ryan's got one. But anyhow, the ones who were there, to my knowledge, Rasheen Ali from Marshall, Ray Davis from Kentucky, Dylan Laub from New Hampshire, Marshawn Lloyd from USC, Cody Schrader from Missouri, Kimani Vidal from Troy, Isaiah Davis from South Dakota State, Jawad Jordan from Louisville, and Amani Bailey, TCU. Um, who have you got to talk about, right, even if they're not on that list? Yeah, I picked Jawad Jordan, and I saw on Twitter that he wasn't there yesterday, or he'd been removed from the list by the offensive group. Oh. I've not seen if he's been in any drills. But yeah, I took Jawad Jordan, the Louisville product. So... Couldn't find his measurements because I don't know if he got any taken, but about 5'10", 5'9", I reckon, probably 5'5", 180 pounds. Very small product, but kind of like a when you shake up a can of fizzy pop and like you open up, up the bursts there. He's projected to potentially run between a 435 and a 445. So if you're looking for a guy that's going to test well, this is going to be a guy that's going to do it. So, yeah. 381 carries across his career, 221, 2,214 rushing yards, 5.8 carries. That's not bad, 5.8. 18 touchdowns, but kick returns, 27 across his time in Syracuse and Louisville, over 800 yards and two touchdowns. He is the ultimate splash player guy, whether it's a returner or as a running back. He can break off the big player. He can hit the hole. He is hard to tackle. He's shifty. Be a good. He's also, like I said, a good uh, last season returning and receiving the ball. So he's kind. He's a small, compact, strong guy. But yeah, don't ask him a block. Just get him into open space. You create holes for him. He will chew up yardage. 
And if one, someone does like don't wrap him up or makes off, he's going to break off that one big play because once he's out in open speed, he has them gears that other guys don't have. He can get into the fourth and fifth gear. And by then, it's probably too late. He's gone. Like I say, if you don't kick, if you don't cover well on a kickoff return or a punt return, like he's going to break one off and he might very well take one to the house. So, yeah, the size and the lack of being able to be a bell cow means he's like a, he'll be a special teamer or a change of pace, probably like a day three guy. But for someone that's had a pretty good season in a really good Cardinals team in the last year and a half, he's been quite important to them. I think he's one of the better under-received guys that will probably be able to play in all the phases of the game. Yeah. Um, right, I will move it on. I've got two guys because I do the team as it does. So the first guy I've got, Cody Schrader. I absolutely love Cody Schrader from Missouri. I'm going to do some film breakdown on him eventually. So he spent five years in college, three years at Truman State down in Division Two, and then two years at Mizzou in the SEC. So his stats, these are from Missouri because trying to get Div 2 stats is now impossible. 446 carries, 2,350 rushing yards going at 5.3 yards per carry, 23 touchdowns, just two fumbles in that time. And as a receiver, he's 39 of 52 on targets, got 326 receiving yards. He is 5'9", and 214 pounds. And it's a hell of a story with him, really. So he was, as I say, a prolific Division II running back with the Truman State Bulldogs, had a 2,000-yard season down there. Uh, but he's had to fight his way up. He then went to Missouri. He was a walk-on at Missouri. And then in his first year, he just he didn't look back. He had a 740-yard first season, and then he won the starting job fully this year, and it preluded a monster 1,600-yard season this year. He broke Tyler Bardi's school record for rushing yards in a season. He led the SEC in rushing by 500 yards. He won the Burlsworth Award, which is given to the most outstanding player who began as a walk-on. He was an All-American and he had three figures rushing in six of eight SEC games. Um, Mizzou have had their best season in a long time, their best couple of years in a long time, and it's no coincidence that it's been with the arrival of him and what he's done on the ground. He finishes college overall with 6,200 yards of offense between Division Two and Missouri. That's more than any other player any other skill player in football. That's just how prolific he has been now. His style, he runs tougher than any running back in this class. The contact balance is second to none. He gets hit, he stays up, takes two or three guys to bring him down, takes really skilled tacklers. You know, you've got to wrap him up. You've really got to try hard to get him down. He'll truck through his rushing lanes violently. He's got great pad level because he's a little shorter so he can get under guys, get leverage on guys, you know, slip through those tight little gaps. I absolutely love it. And the ball security is elite. You just literally can't hit the ball out of his hands. Two fumbles in nearly 500 carries just shows you how good that is. And he's the definition of durable. To have that many yards in a college career, especially down to Division Two in, you know, in the SEC, it's a brutal division. And he's been durable. He's very rarely been injured. No major injuries today. A lot of carries, but it just means that he can handle the load. Um, 
Works punk coverage unit on special teams. So you've got the special teams ability if you want to put him in as well. The only thing that kind of holds him back is his blocking. But I think this is a guy who you bring up as a bell cow and you can put him in straight away as a running back one or two. And you don't really need to get him blocking. Just send him in, let him do his damage there. And obviously the problems will be the size, 5'9". He's on the smaller side, but 214, he's quite stocky. He's got a good frame about him. The workload he's had, it remains to be seen. But like I said, it just shows he's durable. He can take a load there in the NFL. He doesn't have elite speed or acceleration, anything that like the smaller running backs, the ones that really do themselves out has, but that's not him. He'll run through guys. He'll make his own separations. So I love Cody Schrader. I'm going to do a lot more on him going forward. Um, so yeah, look forward to that. And then the other guy I want to shout out, Kamani Vidal. Uh, on another one of my favorite teams. So he's been a running back four years at Troy, one of about five or six Trojans who could get drafted this year. He's had a hell of a career as well. 780 carries, 3,998 rushing yards, 5.1 yards per carry, 33 touchdowns, just seven fumbles over nearly 800 carries. He's 91 of 112 on targets, 693 receiving yards and a touchdown there. And again, smaller guy, 5'8", 215 pounds. He's Troy's all-time career leading rusher. Um and he's one of the smartest running backs you'll ever find. Um, if there's a crease or a developing gap, you will see. He'll see it before anybody else. He'll exploit any little advantage he can get. He'll find the gaps in the line. He'll go through them. And again, he runs incredibly hard. He's versatile. He plays two completely contrasting styles. So, you know, he can do sort of the outside the tackle stuff, the inside the tackle stuff. You can line him up as a receiver. And, you know, sort of do the bell cow work or do the more dynamic back work there against the bigger bruising run orientated guys. He's really shifty. Like his lateral speed is he'll he'll give you a little stutter step. He'll give and go. He'll burst around you. You can't catch him up there against the more smaller athletic guys. He'll just run through them. And you see this on tape all the time. He kind of works out the defensive style, what their players are, and he adapts to it. And he just gets production every single game. He forced 94 missed tackles this season. That was second in the entirety of the FBS after the Texas Tech running back, whose name I can never remember. But 94 missed tackles in a year, which is crazy. Taj Brooks, that's it. Um, but yeah, gives him big scheme versatility. He's a high-level pass blocker as well. Like, to work in that Troy system, they love to run the football there. You know, they love to be a very physically aggressive team. He's one of the best pass-blocking running backs out of this group, full stop. He uses a smaller frame to get under guys, force them up, make them lose their momentum, keeps the quarterback clean as long as he needs to to make the throw there. And he's a good, reliable pass catcher out the backfield as well. He works the kick return team, the kick coverage team, the punt coverage team on special teams. So if that's his way into a team, highly experienced there. The size and lack of elite speed, again, are going to be the knock on him the level of opponents more so than Cody Schrader on this, because it is group of five, but the guy's a proven winner. Two titles in a row there. That's all he knows. Again, highly durable, highly experienced. There's a three-down Sunday guy in there because he can catch the ball out the backfield and he can block at a high level. So Vidal, for me, is going to go right under the radar, but he's, an entire, he's a very talented player. But Cody Schrader, I just love more than anybody. Right, let's move it on. Two wide receiver. 
the group there. So we've got Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky, Jacob Cowing, him who is now five foot eight, not five eleven from Arizona, Jaquan Jackson from Tulane, Xavier Legetta from South Carolina, Luke McCaffrey from Rice, Lad McConkey from Georgia, Ricky Pearsall from Florida, Brendan Rice from USC, Marcus Rosamy Jack Saint from Georgia. Aeneas Smith from Texas A&M, Jamari Thrash from Louisville, Devontae Walker from UNC, Jordan Whittingen, Whittington from Texas, Johnny Wilson from Florida State, Roman Wilson from Michigan, who's been having a hell of a week, and Javon Baker from UCF, who you got in the wide receiver room, Ryan? So I've got two. <clears throat> so the first player is Luke McCaffrey, and I had to pick him just because he's really fun. So he is the son of the NFL legend. He is Ed McCaffrey's son. He is the former Nebraska Cornhusker and the current Rice Owl. And the last two years, things have kind of gone crazy for him. So he's had like 130 catches for 1,700 yards for 19 touchdowns, 13 of them were this year. So he had pretty crazy year for the Owls this year. He was one of their favorite targets and he was JT Daniels go-to man for Rice this year. So, but not to mention that, but also, he's also had, in the last five years, over 130 rushing yards every season. One year in 2020, he had 65 carries. But also, between 2019 and 2021, he was also like QB3 or the emergency quarterback. So for Nebraska, he actually threw 57 passes in two years with a completion percentage of like 66%. He threw for 600 yards, but for three touchdowns and six interceptions. And in 2021 for Rice, he actually attempted 62 passes, 50% completion for 300 yards, and he threw for two touchdowns and four interceptions. So this guy really is the do-it-all. The He can do everything. If you ask him to do it, he might do some things better than others, but yeah. He was a high school quarterback, I imagine. He's an emergency quarterback. He can rush. And he's also a very stellar slot receiver, I think he is. Like I say, he works really well on breaking in and out routes, and especially in the red zone. 13 touchdowns this year. Like I say, he was really good when it got to the end zone and that like 10 to 20 yard line. He's got a good frame. He's listed at like six, one and a half, like two, two, five, 210 pounds. So he's fairly well put together. He's got crisp route running. He's got soft hands. There's nothing elite about any of his traits, but he's an incredibly hard worker with a good skill set. can work inside to outside. He will block if you ask him to. He's been very productive at Rice, where he struggled to find a niche at Nebraska, having to do everything. But yeah, the last two years have been very kind to him. On a team that has looked to him to be a leader because they've not been the best of Rice, let's be honest, last few years. But for him... He's stayed loyal to the programme. He's worked his ass off and he did really well. And this year he was rewarded with nearly a thousand yard season. And JT Daniels was part of that. They were they made quite a nice tandem together. They got a bit of chemistry going really quickly. And yeah, I think he's quite an interesting. He's the kind of guy you stash on the practice squad that maybe one day turns out to be a wide receiver three. Yep. Like I said, got loads of upside. No real flaw, because you don't expect a lot of him, but a very hard worker. He's been super productive. And the other guy, well, you already know who I had to pick on this list. I'd say 
one of my favorite. Let me have a guess. Let me have a guess. Who, who's on the list? Where are we? Is oh, I'm gonna we picking Ricky Pearsall here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there I we go. Ricky, <laughs> former Sun Devil, who is now Florida Gear. So yeah, two years now Florida, but he did spend three years, and he was one of my favorite Sun Devils in his last years of Sun Devil. Had his best year, like 450 yards, a couple of touchdowns. But his time in Arizona State was marred by up and down bad quarterback play. A lot of things that happened, it just wasn't his fault. He just didn't get the production or see the targets. But he came to Florida, and that all changed. Like He's been a big part of their offense, like say a year ago and this year, breakout season. So 6'1", 190 pounds, career totals of 159 receptions to 2,200. 2,420 yards, but over 950 of them yards came this year alone. 15.2 yards reception, career 14 touchdowns. Also has 21 rushes for 253 yards and five rushing touchdowns and can return. He's another one that surprisingly deceptive out in the backfield on designed players, like say, get it out to him, trick players. He really is a jack of all trades. Like I say, this year as well, a lot of people remember he had one of the players of the year, the one-handed catch into Charlotte 49ers where he then gets absolutely destroyed and still hangs on. So he has got hands like glue. I don't know if he uses sticky. I don't know if he uses the glue or if he actually uses anything on them, but everything that comes his way normally not, he catches it. He's not overly fast, don't claim to be, but the separation he gets is from like elite Chris running. The cuts... The brakes, they're putting the brakes on, turning round is enough to get him one, two yards. Intermediate to deep routes, he really does excel in because he's able to get out in open space, make guys miss. And when balls come his way, more often than not, he's getting caught. Not a lot does he actually cop up. Like I say, he is a he really has got good hands, soft, good grip, and he catches not of his chest or the numbers. It's all handwork and People are talking about him already at the senior ball today. Brilliant day. He's such a willing blocker. He's courageous. He's tough for someone that's got a, a solid but not a stacked build for potential outside receiver. But yeah, he's plucky and he gives it his all. And a lot of people think he's rising from already a day three to a day two prospect. I'd say he's, he was Graham Mertz's best friend this year. And I would love to see Detroit throw a middle round at him. I think it'd suit what we like to do because our receivers need to be able to block. But they've also got to be able to be trusted. Short of the sticks is why we like to throw. That's why I'd like to give him the ball, crossing routes at the post or the goal line or at the first down marker, because that's where he's going to get a lot of his work done. And then he can make people miss Yeah, He's one of the guys that's got the most upside of the whole senior ball. Like I say a lot of people already know him because he makes highlight players. He's made some of them in the past, some splash players. So he's well adverse in that, but yeah. I could be biased, but I know a lot of people now are starting to work out who he is and see him now, yeah. And yeah, he's a, he's a good dude and he deserved a, a big time transfer. And it made it pay, it made it work as well. The Gators, they were hit and miss for the most part, but that one, because he didn't do his bit, he carried most of that offense, especially passing this year. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. He's making an impact. Lisa's joined us in the chat and she immediately said, you know, Pearsall looks good in practice. People are taking notice. This is this is an opportunity for some of them to shine. So absolutely. Um, the two guys I've got. So first up, 
I've been big on this guy for a long time. I'm pretty sure he was in my preseason team that we did. But, of course, it's the Yak Master, Malachi Corley. He's the wide receiver from Western Kentucky. has spent four years there. He's 259 of 366 on targets, 3,016 receiving yards, 29 touchdowns at 12.5 yards per reception. He's 5'11", 210 pounds, good build for the slot. And as I say, he is the master of yak. He's destroyed all in his path in the CUSA over the last few years. Western Kentucky had one of the best offences in the nation. The signature, it's his after-catch ability. In 2022 especially, 975 of his 1,282 receiving yards were yak. It was 300 more than any other receiver in the nation. Um, he uses... So he's got this nice little arsenal of things he uses. So he's got explosion and this sort of sharp, sh sharp stop step that he uses, the give and go, where he just completely throws DBs off the routes, breaks away from them, creates bungles of separation, is able to get up to the safety level or take it to the house. That's able how he's able to get so much yak there. Um, but he can use straight out speed to win as well. If you want to have, you know, 40 yard dash against somebody, beat them that way. He can do that as well, out the slot and on the perimeter. They've been using him there a bit more this year. And when he's got the ball, he's incredibly strong. Like I say, 210 pounds. He's built well. He's another who's incredibly tough to tackle and bring down. He fall forward, get those extra yards. Again, that's how he gets so much yak on his CV there. And that strength has kind of opened up a new wrinkle to his game because, as I say, mainly he's predominantly played as a slot at Western Kentucky. This year... They've moved him out onto the perimeter a bit more. You've started to see the outside wide receiver Malachi Corley because he's very physical against press coverage on the line of scrimmage. He can beat that, and then he uses his speed to get downfield, and he's actually made for a pretty decent outside wide receiver this year as well as playing in the slot. So he's adding versatility to his game. They're using him in the backfield now as well, the jet sweeps, the motion stuff. There's been more of that this year. His game has completely expanded since we talked about him 12 months ago um and he's just i absolutely love him he's had six drops this year which is unlike him it's you know by far the most he's had in his career but again he's playing on the outside more now he's playing in the backfield he's doing a lot of different things that he's not quite done before which he's adjusting to so i can kind of forgive the drops there whilst you're developing your game um obviously his route running needs a little bit of polish uh, especially now he's doing the outside stuff as well, the roots he's not really accustomed to. He's got to grow that tree out a bit more, but that comes with experience. At the next level, if a team uses him in both areas, it'll come there. And of course, you know, the level of competition. With CUSA players, it's always the case. Three of them got drafted last year out of 250 picks. There's a reason for that. But he's going to book the trend. He will be a starter eventually in the NFL. He blocks soundly. It's not off the charts, but it's enough so that you're getting a dynamic playmaker and he can block enough to justify getting a spot on a roster. I've loved him for a very long time now, and I think he's going to get a go in the NFL. He's going to have his name called. So watch out for him this week. And the other is Xavier Legetta. So he's the wide receiver from South Carolina, five years he's been there. He's getting first-round buzz about him this year. His stats, he's 113 of 173 on targets, 1,678 receiving yards, 
14.8 yards per reception. He's a big play guy. 12 touchdowns. He's also got 29 kick returns, 785 return yards, 27.1 yards per return. So, again, more than a touchback every time he gets his hands on the ball. He's got a, re he's got a return touchdown as well. He took one for 102 yards all the way to the house. So he's got the big play explosion about him there. He's 6'3", 227 pounds, like the exact perfect build for an outside wide receiver. So he's the explosive deep field threat. And the thing is, he plays in the slot a lot. He's 60% outside, 40% inside. He's got a wide array of weapons at his disposal, but he's had to wait a very long time. You think 173 targets in five years. He's had one year as a starter. He's had to wait awful patiently. He's hammered away on special teams. He's done all the kick return stuff. And then he's had his breakout single year this year. He's long speed. He can run at 23 miles per hour on long speed. This dude is fast. He is bulky. He is strong. This is how he wins a lot of the time. And to say he's got the frame to win at the line of scrimmage against press. He'll burst past you if you sat back in zone. He can grab those really sort of tough high catches. He leaps like a salmon, as we say over here. He can leap higher than anybody else. He can go pluck those slightly overthrown passes out the air, the slightly underthrown ones. If it's in his radius, he will grab it. Um, he offers immediate versatility for any team as a returner if they're not, you know, sold by the lack of touches in college, even though he's had his great year. But he had, what, 1,400 yards this year. Not to sniff at. It's his first year as a starter, first time as a volume receiver, and he's performed incredibly well. The lack of overall football will hurt, though. You can see it. The route tree is not refined because he doesn't have the experience on the field. The run blocking is underdeveloped because, again, he just hasn't done a lot of it because he's not seen much time. And this year, he's just done a lot of receiving work. He's not had to do a lot of the nitty-gritty stuff as well. The release packages he's got to work on as well. It's just all these little facets of the game which get better with experience and get better with the years. He's not had a chance to refine yet and you might think oh well you don't really want a guy like that but the thing is he's got all the physical traits he's shown that he's versatile he's shown that he's got everything in the bag it's just are you going to be patient with him and develop him i mean they're saying they'll give him a round one pick some teams you're you're betting on that physical upside with him you're betting on that big play explosiveness been a permanent thing and i can get that i can buy it so you know, I think he's worthy of that hype. What I've seen of him, you've just got to be patient with him. Yeah, it might take two or three years before you see the best iteration of him, but it'd be worth that pick eventually. Right. Let's moving on to the tight end room. Um, and let me just get down to the tight ends. So not too many of these, hopefully. So we've got AJ Barner from Michigan, Jaheim Bell from Florida State, Theo Johnson from Penn State. Ben Sinnott from Kansas State, Brevin Spanford from Minnesota, and Jared Wiley from TCU, who you had a look at at tight end. It's funny because I saw Jaheim Bell's measurements and he has got the smallest tight end or tight end I've ever seen. Yeah, he went from 6'3 to 6'1. Yeah. yeah. Like I say, Jordan Wiley's six foot seven. Like, he, there he is, all track. So I've gone with Brevin Spanford. And funny enough, 
He's also listed at like six, seven, two hundred sixty pounds. The guy is a behemoth. So a career Minnesota hometown kid from St. Cloud, Minnesota, and I picked him because he's bizarre. So he's only got ninety-five catches for one thousand sixty yards, eleven point two receptions, and just seven touchdowns. And that's like a whole four and a half years. And I don't know if that's because I know the Minnesota passing offense is terrible. Genuinely, I think their passing offense has been crap last year. It's like, say, Tanner Morgan and between PJ Fleck. Or it's because Brevin just isn't a good weapon. But with a frame that big and the size, I just find that hard to believe. You just don't get them built like Kim and Jordan. Like they're, 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 they're ridiculous. They've got muscle, they've got length, they've got size. Now, one thing Spanford can do, because Minnesota run the ball a lot, is he can block. And he plays out of a three-point stance. He's basically an extra lineman, and you can play him in line. And that goes a long way to the fact he can do the basics right. He's aggressive. He can run block. He can come across the line. He can get to next level. And having a huge wingspan and just being blessed by God with the, the physical traits he's got, he can also play from a two-point stance. You can put him in the slot. And his size and his build it will lean straight away to, I'm at the goal line, put him on the field, or I'm in the red zone, just put it up to the back corner and let him go get it. Everything else, the receiving work, just needs so much work. Like I say, the fruit tree's not good. Like I say, the hand skills and everything, it's not there, and it's been shown by the lack of production, and frankly, the lack of use or trust. What you're trying to get here is the package. Like I say, he's got that, that run-blocking ability and he's also got the size of an albatross. And you don't often get them mixed together like that. So for me, I wouldn't draft him. And the senior ball, he really has to show that he can catch and that he can run routes. So this pre-draft will be between him showing that, like you say, he's a UDFA or he's a, he's a day three pick. Like him being drafted is on the line. But he's got that kind of guy that you just you pick him up and next thing you know like he turns into like the Michael Jordan of the red zone or like he's like Shaq Shaq O'Neal like that you can't just find that so yeah I'm hoping that his upside is going to outweigh any like glaring issues that he's had at his time as a golden gopher because like I say it's not been best for him especially catching the ball or being integrated into the offense but if in the right scheme with the right coach or the right help around him that can improve. And he's got all the things you can't teach, which I like. I'd rather have someone that's massive and can block that I can teach to catch than someone that's smaller like Bell. I trust the catch, but I don't want him blocking. Like I say, I can only have him on the field essentially as a receiver. So, yeah, uh, you're really not getting a lot right away, but it could develop into a really solid pickup later down the line. Yeah, see, I can back that. He's had Tanner Morgan and Athen Calliot Manis throwing at him. Like, you may as well just have a duck in there throwing it. You know, we just not going to do well. So I, I can buy that completely. Um, I'm still surprised. Out of the Shrine Bowl and so far, we've still not crossed players. So I've got Ben Sinnott, uh, who I've grown my very infatuated one. with. What? I love Ben Sinnott. He's my favourite. Yeah. Time. Yeah, I've I've grown to really like Ben Sinner. So he's the tight end from Kansas State, has spent four years there. He's 81 of 123 on targets, 1,131 receiving yards. He gets 14 yards 
per reception, which is like, that's deep play threat, that is, at that point. Ten touchdowns. He also has a rushing touchdown because they utilise packages for him in the backfield as well. He's 6'4", 245 pounds. He's the walk-on who walked away with a Big 12 championship for K-State and a potential high spot in the draft as well. So he basically redshirted years one and two with Kansas State before two years as a starter. And, and Kansas State use him all over. So you get the traditional inline and slot assignments, but then they use him as a perimeter receiver on occasions, and they use him as a, in the backfield as a rusher and also as a lead blocker. So like you've got a guy who's versatile, who spreads all over the offense and does a little bit of everything. He's kind of like a super tight end in the way. Um, so I say, yeah, versatility right away. He's developed into a consistent high-level run blocker. So he's not too tall, going to have people getting underneath him. He's got a good size, good frame. K-State like to run the ball. The Big 12, you know, running football's a whole big, big part of it. He is a really good run blocker. Pass protection needs a little bit of improvement for him, but he's never surrendered a sack. He's only given up one quarterback hit in 86 reps and he used to be a DN in high school. So he's kind of got knowledge of how the mind of a DN works. So his pass pro, I think is better than he's given credit for, but it, it needs more work in relation to the run game. But as a receiver, like you put him against the zone coverage defense and he's an absolute menace. He doesn't have like that burning pace or that separation skill, but if there's a hole to be found in a defense with some soft coverage, he'll find it. He'll make plays and he'll get a lot of yak after the catch as well. As I say, you don't get 14 yards per reception by not being able to run with the ball in your hands after the catch. So he's such an enticing prospect. The troubles, like as I say, with him stem when it comes to play and press coverage, stuff like that. He struggles to get separation. He's not the most athletically gifted guy and he doesn't have like that explosive first step that can get him away there. So that might just sort of cap him at the next level. He'll start more as a blocker, and then you'll kind of work on the receiving stuff. You will try and finesse his route tree a bit, give him every little advantage he can get. But, I mean, as far as prospects go, I really like him at the tight end position. You just sit him, you work on him, give him a little bit of work in there. He works the field goal kick unit at K-State as well, so you've got the special teams that he'll come in and happily do for you. I mean, he's he's a weapon, and even Ryan is there on it with him, so he's very exciting. Need to see some footage of him this week, so hopefully we will get that. Right, let us move on. To the offensive line, just bear with me while I get this up. So I don't know how you've done it, but we go offensive tackles first, and then we'll do right. So at offensive tackle, we've got Ethan Driscoll from Marshall, Javon Foster from Missouri, Talis Fuaga from Oregon State. Delmar Glaze from Maryland, Tyler Guiton from Oklahoma, Ladarius Henderson from Michigan, Christian Jones from Texas, Satoa Laumea from Utah, 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 Jordan Morgan from Arizona, Patrick Paul from Houston, Jeremy Flax from Kentucky, Brandon Coleman from TCU, and Kingsley Suamataya from BYU. Who have you looked at on the exterior of the offensive line, Ryan? So I've picked up Jeremy Flax, the offensive tackle from Kentucky. 
So he's listed at 6'6", 320, 325, a Detroit, Michigan native. So this kid was a four-star coming out of high school, had a lot of offers, but he actually decided to go Juco. And if anyone's watched uh, Last Chance U, they will know the Independence Community Pirates. That's where he played his first football. And he was very prolific there. And once he'd had a go stint, he decided, I'm going to go straight up to the next level. And he found himself at Kentucky. So he has been a wildcat then for the last four years. He has played over 1,340 snaps at Kentucky, all in the SEC. He has been pretty much a career right tackle. He has been stellar this year. Only surrendered two pressures, t- 12 pressures and two sacks all season for a team that helped uh, Ray Davis be one of the best rushers in the nation. Like I said, he has got ridiculous size. The bottom half of him is so well constructed. He has got arms that are incredibly long and muscular. Like I said, he's got 6'6", he's got height, he's got the weight as well, he's got the frame to put it on. But the issue is, like I said, all that weight, he's not very agile. He's just not super mobile. He's only like kind of kryptonite is the fast guys or the guys with bends that want to go around the outside. Like I say, he sometimes is a bit late off the snap. So they can beat him and get on the outside and give him trouble. But if you're talking like, say, a, a ready-made right tackle, especially with like run blocking, pass pro, some guys will get underneath him. But that's natural because he's a big kid. He's tall. He's got long arms. That's the way you beat them. But he, yeah, if he gets hold of you, he ain't going to let go. He's incredibly strong. He's powerful. Got a bit of violence. Can work on pass pro. And like I say, he's able to engage. And he's not necessarily a mauler, but the fact is he's just going to do anything he can to get in your way or stop you. Like you say, he's a pain in the ass. Like you say, don't let go. His hands will come off. He will readjust and he will go back onto you if he does lose his grip. But yeah, he is very, he's pretty much ready-made off the conveyor belt. Like I say, as a potential future right tackle starter, but you could play in between offensive tackle and guard on that right-hand side as a rotational piece. Or like I say, bringing an extra six lineman. Like I say, he's got all the tools, he's got the size, and he's got the pedigree. Like I say, four years in the SEC. Had some bad years, but this year he came off his best year and said, it's time to clear. So yeah, he's experienced, he's well built, he's well put together, and he's got he's got most of the tools he needs. So I think he's gonna be a potential guy that can succeed at the next level. Comes from a school which is known for its offensive lineman, which goes a long way as well. Um I've got two guys at the tackle position. First up, got Javon Foster. He's the offensive tackle from Missouri, spent five years there. So his deployment altogether, 2,765 snaps at left tackle, 154 at right tackle. In 1,555 pass block snaps, he's given up 53 pressures, eight sacks, six quarterback hits, and 39 hurries. He is 6'5", 309 pounds. He is intelligent. He is athletic. And he's been left tackle in a league where he's had to deal with some of the premier talent in the country for the last half a decade. He plays aggressive. He's got massive arms, which he uses to be able to get hands on his opponents first. Those edge rushers, even the speedier guys, he'll hit you first. He'll knock you off your rhythm and he will dominate the play from then on in. You can see it in his run blocking. 
He's got this really powerful punch, which just sort of almost stuns the defender, two hands on, lever them out of the way. It's almost sort of rinse and repeat at this point with him. I just love seeing the dirty the, 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 This is, you know, this is Cody Schrader's team. There's a reason he's ran for 1,600 yards this year. He's a really good running back, but he's had the line blocking for him as well. He does a lot of the pulling as well. He's very, as I say, he's athletic from a sports family. You'll see him pulling a lot. You'll see him getting out to the perimeter a lot. You'll see him going out to the second level. He'll do it all, and he'll arrive there on time. Like He's incredibly athletically gifted. Um, pass pro, very explosive get-off. And then his big frame, he kind of just uses to bottle up edges. It's very difficult to run around him because he's so big, and he'll just sort of shove you out of the way, take you away from the quarterback that way. You can't get at him on the inside because his technique is second to none. He just positions himself really well to intercept the pass rusher there. The pass pro is where he does have to do a little bit of work. So he's very erratic with his footwork at times. The technique does need a little bit of work as well, because like I say, he relies on his mass to win and his positioning, but if he's out of position, then it becomes a little too easy. You've got to kind of work on that, especially at the next level. And he's got to drop his pads a smidge as well. But he's 6'5". A lot of guys have this trouble with pad level at college. It, it can get sorted in the NFL. But he's got all the uncoachable attributes. He's got the length. He's got the IQ. Add a little bit more mass to him. Get him solid there. He's played at the most important position on the line. I think he's going to be a really good player at the next level and one who we need to keep an eye out on. Maybe it's not left tackle, but certainly got a future there. And the other guy I've got, and I need to be careful here because Lisa has correctly reminded me to say his name properly. I apologize. Tali Fuaga. Hope we got that right this time. So he's the offensive tackle from Oregon State. And boy, his, his tape fun to watch. He's been there three years 1,564 snaps at right tackle. He has never played anywhere else. He is a right tackle only. In 734 pass block snaps, he's given up just 23 pressures. He's never given up a sack in college. Just five quarterback hits and 18 hurries. And this dude is big. 6'6", 334 pounds. And then watching this, he is, and I was trying to think of a better word here, he's a snowplow at right tackle. In the, in the run game, anyone or anything that gets in his way, he will shovel it out the way like he's a snowplow shoveling snow off the street. He'll just leave this little trail of destruction where the running back can get in behind him, basically follow him until he stops. The man is physically dominant. He is lightning quick out of his stance, generates the pop that stuns his opponents, which allows him to move them so easily. Like, this is an NFL frame he's got here. He's great as a climbing blocker to the second level. He's really athletic. So all the smaller linebackers, the smaller DBs who can sometimes outwit the bigger guards get to the running back, he'll move step for step with them. He'll move laterally. He'll do what he needs to. He very rarely misses his blocks there in pass pro. The lateral movement is really good. The technique to mirror and engage his rushes is really good. You know, he's good at faking hits as well. Kind of disrupts the rushes, takes them out the stance a little bit, makes them lose a bit of momentum. And he's got good recovery speed for such a big guy as well. But the aggression in the pass pro sometimes is his undoing. It means he'll jolt a bit too quick. His footwork's a little bit funny. He doesn't get himself set correctly. He'll overcommit a little bit. And the speedier tackle, uh, speedier edges 
are able to get some success on him. But these are kind of, these are technique things. These are things that, again, you can coach out of him. If you refine his pass pro, his ceiling is huge. Like he is going to be a dominant right tackle from play one and you are going to run the ball behind him as a rookie, and you are going to have no fear. Like, honestly, I very, like, it, it's Sewell-esque. The way he can clear out running lanes is Sewell-esque, and I am not afraid to say that. So for Wagner, he's going to be a first-round pick. I think he's going to be a lot higher up the pecking chain of offensive tackles than a lot of others do. He's not, like, in the top three or four guys usually, just because he's a right tackle, but I think he'll go really high. And whoever gets him has got a hell of a run-blocking tackle to start off with there. Right, we'll move it on to the interior of the offensive line. And a few of the guys dropped out here, but uh, there's still a few. We've got Isaiah Adams from Illinois, Tano Bortolini from Wisconsin, Javian Cohen from Miami, Kingsley Eguakun from Florida, the center, Christian Haynes, from Yukon, Trevor Keegan from Michigan, Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon, who everybody's talking about, Dominic Puny from Kansas, Andrew Rain from Oklahoma, Layden Robinson from Texas A&M, Charles Turner III from LSU, and Bo Limmer from Arkansas. Who've you got on the interior, right? I've gone with Tanner Bortolini. I've got the Wisconsin guard. So... Six four ish, three hundred and fifty, three hundred pounds. Has beautiful mullet, must say. It looks, it looks like a guard. Now he is very experienced. Over nineteen hundred snaps in his time as a badger. He's played all four out of five positions. I think the only position he's not played is left tackle. So very versatile. Played a number of snaps at every position, but he is a right guard and he can cover center. He has played center, so he can snap the ball. So this guy, he basically dominates in a zone interior run scheme. He's nasty. He's a mauler. Like I say, he don't get under him. He just plows through him. He pulls and he makes holes. And if there's a hole there, he prizes it open. His feet, he's really fast and agile because he's a smaller guy. He can shift. He can haul ass across that line or get to the next level with some of the best of them. And that is where he is going to really excel at the next level is the fact that there's guys that are bigger than him, stronger than him, but when the ball is snapped, he's already anticipating it. He can move quicker than a lot of guys in the offensive line. And that means he can pick up the blitz. He can come across the line if he's pulling. He can get out in front of guys to be a lead blocker. He's got the finishing skills and he has that versatility where he has played considerable amounts from left guard to right tackle. So he's been all across the line. He's been trusted in a, a run-heavy scheme as well. He's been like Braille Allen, one of his main protectors for the last few years. And he offers that versatility. Uh, a smaller size, but a more well-rounded, put-together package that will look to be a bit smarter, a bit nippier. And he will do anyone that wants to run inside, run like traps, run zones, any reverses where you have to get alignment out in front of you. I think he'll do well. I think I'd I'd like to see him in our scheme because we put sort of more much onus on our guards being able to pull across the line. You've got to be able to trap. You've got to be able to force holes. And ultimately, yeah, like I say pass pro is important, but for us, our run game is president on. So he'll be good on a strong running team that will ask him out there. They won't hang him out to dry. 
they'll say, like say, get off the guy, get to the next level. And then once you're in the second, third level, just like just, just plow through someone. I said just pancake someone. Yeah, I I I I I really like him as well. I was gonna have him in here, but <laughs> I found another one. But yeah, I really like him. Um quickly before I go on to mine, the guy who's generating all the buzz at this, Jackson Powers Johnson, like we could see a centre go round one again at this point, right? Like, dude seems to have impressed absolutely everybody at this thing from his interviews to, to his play. Like, guy's a monster. Yeah. Like I say, that, that, that thought of him right there, he's got that big old centre belly. Like yeah. I say, he's got the gut. He is built like a centre. But yeah, the guy is he's physically empowering in it. Like I say, he... He can swallow. He can hold off two guys at once. Like you say, he's got one hand on one, one hand on the other, and you just don't phase him. Like I say, snaps are clean. His cadence is good. You trust him to like call the blitzes. He, he understands how to read the defensive line. He understands as well if backers are trying to fool him, they're going to drop. They're going to come a blitz. Like he's the kind of guy that I would trust to pick all those things out and pass that vital information on to a quarterback. And yeah, he's one of the winners already. After like two days, I see he's showing him to be one of the best, not just overall like interior guys, like best guys on the line. Like mm. I say, he's gonna, and the senior ball has done absolute wonders for linemen in the last two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, then as we've seen them, like say Creed Humphrey and that guy, like uh, Alan Bump, they've gone really high in recent years. The crop of safety at the center has been so high. He's going yeah. to follow in the footsteps, like I say. Might not be a year one starter, but if anyone's looking to replace a centre that's getting older or has a lot of injury issues, like I say, if he falls, <laughs> like, if he falls that second, like, would Brad do it? Like, just as a backup insurance plan for Frank? I won't be mad at it. Like I say, I trust this guy to be a starter. I can't remember his snap count, but I don't think he's done much at the guard positions. That would be the only thing that put me off. But there's a reason that Bo, Bo Nix has been touched as much as the Mona Lisa, which is like, not at all. Like, he doesn't get sacked, and he's a big reason why. For He is giving me Creed vibes. And, like, Creed got drafted at, what, 64. He was, like, ridiculously underrated. JPJ is probably going to be a first-round pick. It's going to be interesting to see how high, though. Like, offensive line is very valuable at this draft. He is going to be crazy. Right, my interior guys, I've got two of them. Well, I mean, you saw the smile on my face when I said one of them on this because, like, he's been my biggest draft crush for a long time now. Of course, it's Christian Haynes. Um, I'm going to keep it a little light on him because I'm going to do a load of tape work on him coming forward, but he's the only offensive lineman I want the Lions to draft. Five years with the Yukon Huskies, played 3,318 snaps, at right guard in 1778 pass blocking snaps he's given up 48 pressures eight sacks six six quarterback hits and 34 hurries he's 62 313 pounds he is the iron man he is the loyal to the soil yukon husky who has started 49 straight games on the offensive line you want durable you want a guy who never gets hurt this is the guy. He's a natural-born leader on that team. He sets the tone. He leads by example. And again, he's shown ironclad loyalty to a team where he could have gone and played at the Power 5 level if he wished to. He didn't. He'd become the first Husky in the FBS era for them to be a two-time All-American. 
The guy is crazy. He's a stud run blocker more than anything. So you can't run this kind of really motion-heavy power run offense. I don't want to say it's like Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, but it kind of is. It asks a lot of our offensive line. Like, you've got to pull a lot. You've got to get to the perimeter a lot. You've got to do a lot of athletic things, which is what he is. He's absolutely perfect for this. Um, he's one of the quickest guards going. I don't know what his 40 times going to be, but it's probably going to be one of the quickest going at the combine when he goes there. I know he's a little smaller, but doesn't really matter. He's got power. He's got explosion. He rarely loses in the run game. Like I watch the tape and there's so few snaps where anyone really is able to get any sort of resistance against him. His diagnose and react skills on passing downs, keep him ahead of the play. He can pick up blitzes. He can pick up the stunts. He can pick up all the late plays that come. He stays very disciplined to keep his gap. He doesn't commit to a double team. If he knows that something else is coming, it's very hard to fool him. He's a trained center as well. He's not played there for them, but they were training him to be center this season. And then their starter from last year, he'd been injured. He got healthy. So he went back to right guard, but he's trained to do it. So he's got versatility on the interior of the line, but he is just, he's NFL ready right now. You can plug and play him in the NFL tomorrow. He will not look out of place, especially in a slightly run heavier scheme like ours. I would absolutely love him here. And you just put a bit more mass on him. He's going to be amazing at the next level. So Christian Haynes, I want him in Detroit, period. Um, the other guy I've got is Dominic Puny. So he's the guard slash tackle from Kansas. So he's had four years at Central Missouri, which is Division Two, if I remember rightly, two years at Kansas. He's got 728 snaps at left tackle, 849 at left guard um, in terms of Kansas's stats. You can't get the central missile ones because, again, they're very hard to come by. In 783 pass-blocking snaps, he's given up just 16 pressures, no sacks, just one quarterback kit, and 15 hurries. He's 6'5", 320 pounds. And I like guys with stories like this. He's fought and clawed his way. He's come up out of Division Two. He's played well enough to get himself a job at a Power 5 program, but he came to Kansas. This is not the Kansas we know now with Lance Leopold two years ago when he arrived. He just got there, and this was not the team that it was. They were the whipping boys in the Big 12, but that program has blossomed, and it's down to players like Puny who've come in specifically and anchored that offensive line to keep their two quarterbacks, Daniels and Bean, upright. He played left guard for the first season, had a really solid year. And after one year, they gave him the job at left tackle. So a Division II transfer took him one year to get the most important job on the line. As I say, he's got long arms. I think they're some of the longest of all tackles at the draft here. And his wingspan is absolutely huge. And he takes every advantage it gives him. The speed rushers can't get round him. And the big bull rushers, he gets hands on them first. So he's able to dictate the play against them there. He's got the athleticism to do all the motion stuff as well. They don't really do it as much there, but he's very quick for an offensive lineman, especially one who's 320 pounds. The run blocking at both levels is top-notch. Really good there. He's versatile. He even does... So they do the tush-push there at Kansas. He's the centre for the tush-push, so... He'll come in and do that occasionally as well. So if you need a guy to get you pushed over into the end zone, he'll go in at center and he'll drive you over the line. Now, 
like a lot of the taller guys, you just struggle with this pad level. Again, something you work out when you get to the NFL level. It's not too concerning at the collegiate level. You can get that out of him. Sustaining his blocks is also another thing. Again, he's got the long arms, but against some of the more persistent, relentless rushes, he can lose that battle sometimes. So you've got to work there. And he is a little handsy as well. There are a few holding penalties in there, but overall for a Division II guy who came up and got himself a starting job and then got on the left tackle line after one year, I'm really excited by him because he offers you a lot of versatility over the line on that left side, all the three spots across it. So Puny and Haynes certainly on my radar there. And as I said, I did have a center. It was Van Pran, but he's not there anymore. So we're not going to do that. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball now and i'm going to assume you've got one interior one exterior again for the d-line yeah. right so we'll do the dns first so we've got chris braswell from alabama brandon dorius from oregon justin eberwigbe from alabama adisa isaac from penn state cedric johnson from mississippi marshawn neeland from western michigan Liatu Latu from UCLA, Braden McGregor from Michigan, Keith Randolph Jr. from Illinois, and Eric Watts from UConn, who you got at edge, right? I stayed in state, so I went, I've got Braden McGregor. So the Wolverines fans will already know him. I say he's a hometown kid from Port Heron. Uh, he's measured about six foot five, 265, which, yeah, he's basically like Hutchinson. But with tattoos, if you took him on like Saints Row into the body shop, put tattoos all over him, they'd look pretty identical. So this year, he had a breakout year. Like I say, four and a half sacks, a forced fumble, nine tackles for loss. But two of those sacks were in the Rose Bowl, and they were huge game changers on Jalen Milrow when he took down Alabama. So he did it on the biggest stage that he could. Like I say, this kid has been a rotational pace place for most of the years, and that's because... Unfortunately, I'd say right now he's not an every-down player because he lacks contain against the run. When you say on obvious running downs, you probably don't want him on the field right now. That is where he struggles. Shedding blocks and getting off them and able to, like, say, penetrate the backfield or bounce a guy in or out, that's where he's shown the, the struggles. And that's shown in the snap counts to reflect on his tackle totals that have not been that high. Also, he's had a few injuries which have really depleted, like I say, the first two of the four years that were there. Didn't see a lot of the field, so it's been it's been tough sledding for the guy. But where he does excel is pass rush. Pure outside, violent hands. Not many guys will pop you better in the chest. He looks to stun his prey. He's like a wild animal. He wants to get up out the line. He wants to pop you under the chest or under, like you say, under your chin strap, rock you and go past you. He has to win right now like a lot of aggression, a lot of physicality and speed. The finesse he will learn. But he's got the high motor, which means he could essentially play every down if he wanted to. A bit like Ian Hutchinson, but the run support is something he needs to work on. But as a situational pass rusher right now, he's shown the ability to, in big games and big stages, finish players, get to the backfield, penetrate, and ultimately get the job done. He's got the size. He's, he shows how got the length. The frame is all perfect for an edge rusher. But setting the edge is where he will have the growing pains at the next level. First and second down, 
you might not see him on the field against some teams at all until I say, but he can work on that. He can improve. But yeah, he's shown flashes this year and he's shown that he's able to, in a small sample size, be a bit of a game wrecker. You know, I say he's got the size and the frame and everything you want to work on. And I think one day, yeah, he could be a starter in the league. But yeah, you've enjoyed watching him and he really needs this to go well. The pre-draft combine for him is a lot because he's got to show that he can go up against these these big guards and these big tackles and win fairly consistently. Oh, sorry, just remind me who again. I just I'm writing down your. That was Braden McGregor. Oh, Braden McGregor. Yeah. Sorry, I thought it was yeah. So I've got Braden McGregor there. Um, yeah. Uh, right. I'll move on. So I've got two edges. Um, so one of the most really intriguing guys here, and again, he was on my preseason watch list, and he's had the season of all seasons, Liatu Latu. So he is the edge rusher from UCLA. So he had one year at Washington, technically two. Then he's had two years at UCLA. His deployment, 1,018 snaps at edge, 111 at the five tech, and he's got about 80 at three tech, but predominantly an edge. So his stats, 135 pressures, 29 sacks, 20 quarterback hits, 86 hurries, 77 tackles, 25.2% missed tackle rate, 65 run stops, six forced fumbles, two interceptions. He's 6'5 and 265 pounds. And it's been a journey for him. So he played as a freshman for Washington in 2019. Then he suffered a serious neck injury in the fall in 2020. He missed all that season. And at the end of the season, the Huskies medical team believed that the injury was too serious. It was never going to heal. So they medically retired him, told him he couldn't play football there again. He disagreed with the decision. He stayed there about half a year and then he entered the transfer portal. He ended up going to UCLA, who gave him a second chance to get over the injury and let him play football again. And (laughs) I mean... He's taken that chance after nearly three years of no competitive football between the injury and him getting you know back on the field. He has obliterated everything put in front of him. He basically broke PFS grading system this year. He has one of the most advanced pass rush arsenals you will ever see. He can attack inside, outside. Hell, he can go through you. If you are built, if you if you're built a little bit smaller, and he's so clever in setting up his pass rushes, like he will set guys up, he will get them misstepping, he'll get them off balance. It's just an absolute joy to see the way that he rushes the passer. He can stack and shed when it comes to the run blocking game. He's got this. He's got elite speed, burst acceleration. You know, to get away from his guy, to hit the holes, to make plays against the run. As well, this this elite IQ and technique he has, it hides his weakness that he does have quite short arms at the next level, which is which is kind of the the knock on him here. The more technically refined tackles in college have been able to deal with him a little bit better because you know if they're just as clever and they know what he's doing, they can get hands on him first, and he doesn't have the frame to be able to get away from them. They'll latch on, they'll keep him quiet, but it's very. It's very rare that happens. The missed tackle rate is huge, like 26%. You can't be missing that at the next level. You've got to clear that. Your tackling technique's not good. It's all been great, been explosive, but if you're overshooting your plays, if you're not wrapping up properly, that is a problem. 
And the long-term effect of his injury also raises concerns as well because he's played for two years, but you kind of have to look back and you're like, it is serious. What happens when he gets his first stinger? What happens when he gets his first big knock there? But outside of that, like, he's just destroyed. I think he graded like 97 PFF-wise this year. He was – that UCLA defense was fantastic, and it was led by him, and he's an absolute stud. But, I mean – He's a first-round guy, right, isn't he? But I don't know. That just injury... I don't know. Would you spend happily a first-round pick on him? It is area of need, and we don't have too many glaring errors. So I suppose we're probably in a position to take a flyer like that, yeah. It's tough. I mean, he, he's one of the best pass rushers going. It's an absolute joy to watch him, but you've just got to be careful. With the injuries. The other guy I've got is um, Javon Solomon. He's the Troy defensive end. He's been there five years. He plays everywhere from the five tech to the nine tech. He's an outside guy, but he'll play over the tackle or he'll come from wide edge. 183 tackles, 49 and a half tackles for loss, 33 sacks, one interception, forced four forced fumbles. He's 6'2", 250 pounds. He's one of the Probably after Latu, he's one of the best pure pass rushers in this draft. He's another who can beat you any way that he pleases. And as I say, he does it from standing over the guard all the way out to nine tech. He can bully through the smaller interior line guys, get leverage on tackles, force them out of the way. Or he'll just set up a guy on the edge. He's quicker than you. He's better than you. He's bigger than you he'll be able to take advantage that way. It just allows him to dictate most of the games, most of the snaps that he plays. That Troy defense has been one of the best in the nation, like period, the last two years. They've won two Sunbelt titles off the back of it. And it's guys like him who've done it. I mean, him and Richard Gibonor, they've been one of the most fearsome pass rushing duos in the league. I say vast arsenal of pass rush moves. He will find a way to beat you. He'll find your weakness. He'll probe. He'll find a way. He'll get after you. He's coming off a 16-sack season this year, which was the most in the FBS. And it broke the Troy school record for most sacks in a season right now. This might seem like an incredibly difficult question, but whose record did he break? And I will quantify this by saying you see him on telly a lot over here in regards to the NFL. It's the obvious one. Who are the two faces you see every week chatting about the NFL? O.C. and Jason. Yeah, O.C. 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 was at Troy. He had the Troy single season sack record at 15 and uh, Javon Solomon broke it. I just thought I'd add that in there for a little bit. It is, but actually when you think about it, Troy has produced some major edge rushes over the years. DeMarcus Ware was from Troy. Like, he dominated for the Cowboys forever and a day. O.C. was an amazing player. You know, he, he went on and did a lot in the NFL. He's from Troy. Gibano uh, and Solomon, both of them will be drafted out of Troy this year. And, you know, I you know with good reason as well. Small school guy, he's going to have to prove himself against better level opposition, but he's got the frame, he's got the pass rush. If you've got the pass rush moves, it doesn't matter how big or how small you are, you can win, period. I love guys who have all that at their disposal. Um, but he's a Sunday guy. He's going to go right under the radar. Javon Solomon, I'm looking forward to seeing him. Right, let's move on 
to the interior guys, the defensive tackle types. Um, we've got Dwayne Carter from Duke, Jaden Crumedy from Mississippi State, Tyler Davis from Clemson, Braden Fisk from Florida State, who's been getting a lot of love, Michael Hall Jr. from Ohio State, Marcus Harris from Oban, Brennan Jackson from Washington State, McKinley Jackson from Texas A&M, Byron Murphy II from Texas, Darius Robinson from Missouri, Tavondre Sweat from Texas, Jordan Jefferson from LSU, and Gabe Hall from Baylor. Who have you got on the interior? I've got, this actually one of the guys I'm more interested in is Brennan Jackson, so the Washington State Cougar. In the last three years, 144 tackles, eight passes defended, 19 and a half sacks, three force fumbles, an interception. Listed at 6'4", 265 pounds. This guy, he wins in the run game. They like said he, Draft Network used the word reckless, is how he plays the run game. If he can't win or make the play, he disrupts what the all-line is going to do. Apparently, he's got a very high IQ. He understands alignments. He knows, pretty much works out very quickly, which hole the lead blocker or the running back wants to come through. He plays pretty much from a three-tech or a four-eye, but he, he will start interior. Primarily, he's a run defender, and he's brilliant at it. Like he's got a big frame. He's strong. He's violent. He's aggressive. He can shed blocks. He can wrap up. He's a running back worst nightmare. He can also work on the outside. He can rush the passer. But when he does it, he does it where he's not really got a plan. He's kind of hoping for the best. He's using his speed and his size, but there's kind of no in his back pocket, not that makes him special. Now, playing Saxon 3 isn't bad, but could be more. But that's what he needs to work on. While he's rushing and he's stopping the run, he'll be working on creating the arsenal, getting the moves on his belt, practicing to become an impactful Three down player, but he's very good at the basics. He's smart, he's strong on the interior, and he makes a huge impact in the run game. He's disruptive. He takes on blocks. He sheds blocks. He can get through double teams, like I say, or he'll draw a penalty, get a holding call. He'll do whatever it takes for you to stop him. Whether that means the running back has to bounce all the way out, goes for a touchdown, he still impacted the player. He made them go to plan B or C. Like I say. He's the kind of guy that's got a nose for the ball and he just wants to be in and around it. He just wants to make something happen, even if he can't make the tackle. He is pretty unselfish in that sense. And he'll just give everything on that down to try and make the play. And I think for a team that wants interior pressure but can kick him outside, depending on the down and the distance, you might want to throw him out where he is very comfortable. I think he's the kind of guy we might be looking at. We do want some help on the interior because we've been through a lot of bodies. But yeah, he offers a lot and he's got versatility. Kick him up and down the line on a four-man front. I think he's probably going to work the best on an even number. There's more positions for him to play. The more gap positions you can put him in because he also does stunts and twists, he realises like what hole I have to be in when I come under. I need to know where I'm going. Or like see if they're going to try to pick him up. How am I going to stop them? How am I going to get there before them? Like you say, he's diagnosing stuff well before the ball is snapped. So, yeah, he understands O-line and the D-line just as well as both of each other. So, yeah, I think he's going to do pretty well this weekend. Yeah, good season for the Cougs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
You know, I came out this DT class and it was one of the few where I'm thinking I like the ones more at the Shrine Bowl. Um, but there were some guys who piqued my interest in here, but a lot of guys who've maybe not found their home just yet. The first one I've got is Marcus Harris. He's the DT, well, the kind of a little bit of everything for Open. Uh, two years at Kansas, three years at Auburn, 1,173 snaps at the three tech, 544 at five tech. And he's played a few at nose tackle as well. Uh, 59 pressures, 12 sacks, six quarterback hits, 41 hurries, 121 tackles, nearly a 15% missed tackle rate, 83 run stops, two forced fumbles, two battered passes. He's 6'3", 295 pounds. Now his, his numbers don't turn any heads but they also don't really tell the full story with him either he's been moved all over the line his entire collegiate career from nose tackle to edge so he's not really been able to settle into a position a lot of teams just kind of throw these athletic guys put them in the middle and say go make some plays it's not really their forte he's he's an undersized guy for an interior tackle He's been thrown to the wolves a lot against these big nasty centers and guard double team combos, all that sort of stuff. But this year it changed. So the Tigers this year sort of killed his interior reps off. They made him play a lot. Well, they let him play a lot more at the three tech, and they also moved him out to the five as well. And they they landed on something with him. So the pass rush started to come together. He had seven of his twelve career sacks this season. And he had his best season against the run by a long a long stretch. And it's because when you get him a bit more one-on-one -on, -one on the outside, he's got a big, strong build, 6'3", 295. Really good for an outside, for a five-tech. You know, he's able to win leverage on the one-on-ones. He's able to impact more. He's able to get to the passer. He's able to get into the backfield to make plays against the run. And, you know... I love this guy watching him. He's he's relentless. Even when he's been forced to be inside against the nose tackle, he fights so hard to try and make things happen. But they found him here at the three to five net position. The lateral ability is great. So you're able to get him out to the perimeter. He can get off to the speedier running backs. He can make plays there. He's, there's a lot to like about him, you know, especially if you can get him one-on-one, -on -one, you can make opportunities for him. There's a lot to be able to go with there. He's got 11 tackles for loss this season against the run. So it's just indicative of you put him in a position to succeed. He does in both facets of the game. But again, it's so kind of like Levi's time at Washington. There's a lot he's underdeveloped at because they just threw him at nose for years and he wasn't able to swim. He sank a lot of the time. The trouble is he is going to be a five tackle in the NFL. But again, as I say, due to all the time on the interior, like the edge rushing is not developed. The pass rushing Arsenal is not great. It's just, he, he's behind schedule at his position, basically. But he's got it in him. You've seen this year, both facets of the game, in a smaller sample size, he's able to do it. And out of all the guys here, I'm kind of going to take on a project. So I don't think there's that many stud DTs here at the Senior Bowl. I'd rather take a project out of these guys, which is why I've gone with my second guy as well, Darius Robinson. He's the defensive lineman from Missouri, there's quite a few Missouri guys in the team, but they've been good this year. He's played 676 snaps at the three tech, 412 on the edge, 219 at five tech, and 191 at nose tackle. So he's played all over, and he's similar. 72 pressures, 14 sacks, 14 quarterback hits, 44 hurries, 
93 tackles, 62 run stops, two forced fumbles, only 12% missed tackles. It's a little less. But here's where it changes with him. His frame is amazing. He's 6'5", 296 pounds. He's built like a five tech. He's had a long journey to discover his potential as well. Again, he had a redshirt year. He had two seasons where he was stuck on the interior, more playing at the nose. But then the last two, they again started to shift him out. They found his position and the productivity has come with it. First, he found it as a run defender, found he's really good at setting the edge. Again, he's got big frame, long arms. He's able to get on tackles, sort of move them into the running back's lanes and be able to stop the runs dead before they happen. And then this year, he emerged as a pass rusher. So Isaiah Maguire, who I loved in last year's draft, left at the end of 2022, obviously, to go to the draft. He took over his position basically this year, and he's flourished. Nine sacks and 42 pressures, which is a lot of his career production in one year, and further growth against the run as well. He was one of the best run defending edges in the SEC this year. So as I say, he's got elite measurables. His RAS score for that will be off the charts. And he's crazy powerful. Like, there are instances of him on tape where he just dog walks a tackle back into the quarterback. And, like, it's at speed as well. I probably couldn't run as fast as he's moving them back. It's crazy. When he wins, he wins big. He uses every bit of that length, length advantage to find a weakness in his opponent. So all you need to do is you need to harness this and you need to develop it. Because, again, he's not had chance to play in this position a whole lot. He works better in space. Don't clog him up on the interior. Um, technique, again, everything just needs a little bit of work. But if you're able to unlock that in him, you could play him anywhere along the line, from wide nine all the way down to three tech. Another potentially great versatile guy there, but it just needs development. But again, as I say, this DT class isn't really thrilling me. So I'm picking development guys out of that. Right, let us move on. Got a few groups left to go. Uh, we got the linebackers first. Now they've moved them into outside and inside, but I'm just going to do them all at once. So we've got Austin Booker from Kansas, Nelson Caesar from Houston, Jalix Hunt from Houston Christian, Marist Liufau from Notre Dame, Javon Solomon, I've already had him. No, take him out. Cedric Johnson from Old Miss, the linebackers, inside linebackers, um, I've just lost the list there. J.D. Bertrand from Notre Dame, Jalen Ford from Texas, Cedric Gray from UNC, Tyron Hopper from Missouri, John Trey Hunter from Georgia State, Tyrese Knight from UTEP, Edifuan Olafosio from Washington, Traven Wallace from Kentucky, Nathaniel Watson from Miss State, Peyton Wilson from NC State, go Wolfpack, Miles Cole from Texas Tech, and Jalen Harrell from Michigan. Who have you got in your linebacker room, Ryan? Uh, I've got uh, Jalex Hunt and Jalen Ford. So Hunt is probably one of the most interesting players here because he's one of the, well, he's one of the only, there's only a handful of FCS guys here. He's the first Houston Baptist player to ever be invited to the Senior Bowl or the East West Shrine Bowl, apparently. So he's an enigma. And He's by far one least in one of the most inexperienced players here. He only has two seasons, that's it. But he was a high school safety. About, he's, like, he's listed at 6'3", 245, so he was a big kid. This kid, a lot of people are raving about that he could be something special. Like you say, he's got 110 tackles, three passes defended, seven half sacks, five false fumbles, interceptions in just two seasons. 
But you look at the Houston Baptist schedule for the last two years, a lot of it is it's small FCS school. They are a small FCS school. So that's the first thing people look at and knock say, yeah, he's going up against a, a real stellar rising competition. What you'd be drafting with him is it's potential. It's upside. It's not what you see now. He's vastly inexperienced, despite the two years of work. But he has got, he's shown incredible flashes this year. I say he is a fantastic pass rusher. He's really good dropping into coverage. I say he's he's an outside linebacker primarily, can play on the edge, but he can fool you. He can drop through the middle. He can come across, pick up a guy at tight end or at the slot. Special teams, an absolute phenom getting down the field. He's able to get there, be one of the first guys to the ball. A lot of people think that it could potentially be a starter in the NFL one day. It's just going to be where he lands and the right amount of coaching because right now he's, he's really far away from it. He's probably like, the, I don't like the word raw, a lot of people use it. He's probably by far one of the most raw players here and in the draft because of lack of pure snaps, but the lack of, like I say, big time attrition against bigger schools. And that is, people say he's not been overly tested yet, but they just don't know what he's capable of. Give him a bigger workload. You could be very surprised what he does. The frame is massive. The tools are there. The IQ, he's only like 22. He's still really young as well. So he has got everything going for him. It will just be a case of, can he mix it with the big boys? I say he's going to be a very small fish in a very big pond by even FCS standards. So he's going to be very interesting to watch. I say he's going to be one of those that could really make a name for himself in the pre-draft process. And could be drafted. Like I say, a lot of people a year ago probably never heard of him. Like I say, in a couple of months' time, you're probably going to be hearing a lot of chatter and buzz about him building up stock and something. Yeah, maybe the next big thing. It'll be what also scheme he fits in. Is he a backer? Is he an edge player? Is he a big linebacker safety hybrid? Are you going to have to play him at all positions to get the best out of him? Or can one scheme? primarily keep him in one spot and let him grow. That'll be the interesting thing. So, yeah, he's going to be scheme versatility with this kid. It's how quick he can learn it and how just how good he is to suddenly be playing with the best of the best. And the one thing is Jim Nagy knows what he's about when he picks these two guys, doesn't he? Like, yep. he picks you for a reason. Tyson Bajan, I know it's Tyson Bajan, but... He's played starter reps in the NFL this year, and he looked quite good for the Chicago Bears. There's a reason they went and got him. Like, yeah, I think this kid just won like all second team like honors for his conference, like say with with Houston. Like say, so he already got like nationally recognized in the last. He's only been there two years. A lot will probably say he's not ready. It was too much too soon to even declare. But the kid trusts his instincts. He's striking while the iron is hot, and yeah, he's going to maximize the the time he's got. He's not really had any time to get injured. Played all 11 games this year. I think he played most from last year too, so he's pretty fresh. He's got very few snaps under his belt or actual mile on the clock, so yeah. Some will say not an experience enough. Some will say a lot more to work with. He's not picked up any bad habits yet. He's very raw and he's, he's malleable. Yeah, he's kind of, some people love him, they won't touch him. Some people like say, like, nah, he's He's too raw. We need a, we need a guy that can start day one. I like said this kid might not see the field for three years, and but when he comes in, 
he could come in and just be an instant starter. You never know. You know, I've been trying to work out the position of linebacker on our draft needs scale at the minute because, like, there's loads of linebackers I like here, but I, I don't know. I don't feel like it's that high, but I, we could. It's, I don't know. It's, it's not top five, I guess, but you never know with Brad. If the if if the if it's there, if the talent's there, who knows? But anyhow, I've got three varying guys here, so I'll start with them. Oh, so the... Should I do him now? You are. Oh, I'll, 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 I'm gone. Uh, I'll, let me do one about. We'll break it down because I've got three here, so we can break them down. So the first guy I want to mention at linebacker here, and this is a recent one with me, and I absolutely love him. Uh, Tyrese Knight. He's the linebacker from UTEP. Uh, he spent four years at UTEP, but he spent two years in JUCO as well, also from Independence. So, you know, for a couple of those guys making their way through here. So he's played 2,247 snaps in the box, 288 in the slot, and 149 at edge. He is hyper-productive. 396 tackles, 32 for a loss, just an 8% missed tackle rate over that time. 48 quarterback pressures, 10 sacks, 10 quarterback hits, 28 hurries, five forced fumbles, eight battered passes, two interceptions, and eight pass breakups. So linebacker instantly coverage screams out. He's 6'2", 235 pounds. And as I say, he's hyper-productive. He is a star in the CUSA, and he is really easy to like. He could have transferred to a much bigger stage than he was on. But when he was asked why he didn't, because they did like his exit interview with him, and I listened to it, and the one thing that really stood out, they said, why didn't you transfer away from UTEP and go for bigger opportunities? And his answer was, when I came out of JUCO, only one school recruited me, and that was UTEP. UTEP were the only team that wanted me, so they're the only team that are going to get me. And I actually really like that about him. They were the one team who gave him an opportunity at the FBS level, and he stayed loyal to them for four years, despite the insane productivity and have been able to go on elsewhere. I like guys who have that sort of attitude. He's not in the G5 because he's not talented. He's there by choice, which is big. Um, so he's natural against the run. Like in CUSA, got to be good against the run. But everything about it, the identification, the execution, he's on blitzing lanes in a snap. He, you know, any rushing lanes open up between the A and B gaps, he's there to cover them. Like guys can't even get past the line of scrimmage against him. He is in there. He runs downhill hard. I absolutely love it. And he's a brilliant finisher. As I say, you've got over 400 career tackles. You're only missing 8% of them. It means your technique's good. It means you're consistent. It means you wrap up well. One of the most important qualities of a linebacker and something <laughs> lacking on the Lions defense right now. Um, the coverage is a work in progress with him. He shows huge promise in zone coverage. He's a lot better at that. Sort of got the opportunity to ID up the passes, to be able to sit there, decide how he's going to make his play rather than be sort of really up, hustle bustle with anybody. But, you know, there's opportunity there with him to turn him into a good coverage linebacker as well. Works special teams on the field goal blocking unit as well. So got your opportunity there. Work special teams. Get yourself on the roster. The question is, how does he stack up against better opposition? Because the CUSA, again, at the bottom of the food chain, really. Three players drafted out of it last year. Um, but I've got a lot of hope for him. Like I said, he's not there because of his talent level hitting a ceiling. He is there by choice, showing loyalty to his program. And we've seen with these type of guys, 
there's a position for them in the NFL. And if we're going to take a flyer on one later on, this is the kind of guy I want coming here. I want that sort of loyalty. I want that attitude. I want chip on the shoulder stuff. No one recruited him out of high school. One team recruited him when he came out of Division Two. He sticks to it, and he's there to prove people wrong. I absolutely love him. Um, back over to you, Ryan. So Jalen Ford. So this guy is the opposite of Hunt. This guy is ready-made. He's basically a missed starter. Jalen Ford, linebacker, Texas. Two years, 220 tackles, four passes defended, three sacks, three false fumbles, and six interceptions. This guy is the definition of a coverage linebacker. I say, this guy plays like Fred Ward. He's built like him too. 6'3", 235. He's just got his tone, he's shredded. It's all muscle. He is brilliant. He's played 1,500-plus snaps since 2022. Primarily works in the box as an underneath linebacker. He is so aggressive. He comes downhill fast, hard, meets running backs in the hall, finishes it. The, the Longhorns, Texas, their defense was known this year for stopping the run. This guy was one of the huge reasons it worked so well. He's absolutely brutal. He's a finisher. He is. He's so well conditioned. He's got size. He's got speed. He's got muscle. But also... The fact six picks in two years, I say he's able to come up to lie and drop back into coverage. And if you don't look him off, he is agile enough with that movement from left to right across the field. He takes the ball and he can he can take it to the house as well. He's got that gear as well. He can go up against slot guys. He doesn't fear tight ends. His size and his muscle don't need to. You catch the ball, he'll lay you out. He will drop the wood and make you pay for it. This guy is a marshal. He generals like he's a general across that, like in between, like say linebacker and safety, like say that kind of like that gray area that people find hard to cover. That's kind of where he does his best work. And that's what makes me think he's already one of the most polished and pro ready defenders, maybe in the draft. He could be starting year one on certain packages and certain teams. But I, I think this is a kind of guy that the Lions should be looking at. Someone. A lot of upside, but the flaw is already there. Like I say, good coverage linebacker like this. So I really like Ford, and I think he offers a lot of tools that make him one of the more pro-ready guys here. He's very polished, and yeah, good guy and part of a really strong unit, one of the hearts of a team that had a fantastic season, and they just would not have been that good without him. He was a huge cog in that second level. Exactly. The glue that holds it together, I really like him as well. I'm looking forward to seeing more of him this week. Um, the other guys have got a linebacker. So this is a blast of the past, actually. Edifuano Lafoscio. So long-time listeners of the College Pod. Well, not too many. I think two years ago, I had him on my butt draft to come to the Lions two years ago. So this is sort of going back to my past here. He spent five years at Washington. I think it's six overall. Now, uh, 1,233 snaps in the box, 140 in the slot, 53 on the edge. So primarily just a good old-fashioned standard linebacker. 242 tackles, 15 for a loss, only 7% missed tackle rate. Got 28 quarterback pressures, three forced fumbles, one interception, six pass breakups, six sacks, 11 QB hits. He's 6'1 and 236 pounds. And I say this is kind of a little bit of an emotional one with him. So first mock I ever did, 
he was in that he was a fast rising star at the time. He was a walk on at Washington and he worked his way into the starting role there. This is when they weren't as good as they are now. But he worked his way into the team and there was a lot. Of, he was a rising star in the later rounds of the drafts. But then it all went wrong. He injured his biceps in the middle of 2021, not long after we did that. So he missed the rest of the season. He didn't go to the draft. And then just after Kalen DeBoer arrived, he did his ACL in and he missed pretty much all of 2022. So he just kind of fell off the face of the earth and he's had a huge fight to get himself fit and to get himself back. But fight, he did. He got his starting job back this year. They made him a co-captain because, you know, they'd already sorted the captain out, but he made him a co-captain and he starred on a defense that made the national championship. Now, I know... Washington defense wasn't the greatest in the world, but he individually has had a really good year and he got voted the team's most inspiring player as well, which is a big thing amongst the college teams for how he's managed to battle his way back. So first thing is 236 pounds. He's built like a truck, but he moves like a Mustang. Like he is deceptively nimble, especially when it comes to coverage. He's one of the better coverage linebackers. And I can't believe I'm saying that after what I said about him two years ago, because it wasn't really his gig, but he is now. He uses he uses that sort of bigger frame to knock around, be really physical with wide receivers, tight ends, all that stuff, knock them off the stride, make them uncomfortable. He doesn't have a ton of like breakups and interceptions and stuff like that. It's more just his presence, his tight coverage is able to stop them making plays. He's got a wicked first step. He's got the tools to work off the edge. He's only done it a little bit, but they did it a little more with him this year. I think you can kind of make him a hybrid edge as well as an outside linebacker, middle linebacker at the next level. He plays the run especially well, especially outside the tackles. His lateral range going sideline to sideline is quite something. For a guy who's had an ACL day, you wouldn't know. He's completely over that now. Um, and as I say, just I like his mentality. He was walk-on who won a starting job with Washington, and then his career got destroyed by injury. He fought his way back. He got his starting job back because it was a new coach by the time he came back who didn't recruit him, had no loyalty to him. He worked his job again. He, he worked it back. I love his persistence, and I would love to spend a, a late-round flyer on him and get him here and develop because I think you can create something far more than the pick you're going to get on him. Obviously, the size at 6'1 may be a thing, the past injuries, that's going to knock his stock down, but I think it's just going to give you a bargain price for him in the draft. And he's pre-med student. You've got to be a doctor when he's done in college. I think you know, when you do something great like that, you really root for the guy. He's one of the most likable guys in the draft. Um, and then the last guy I had was Peyton Wilson. I'm going to put him in there because he's an NC State guy. I'm completely biased here, but he is one of the best linebackers in the draft, if not the best. Five years there, 6'4", 238 pounds. He is built perfect. 402 tackles, 48 tackles for loss. Just 10% missed over his career for his missed tackle rate, but it was 4% this year. He didn't miss a damn thing. 79 quarterback pressures, 16 sacks, 15 quarterback hits, 48 hurries, five batted passes, seven interceptions, 10 pass breakups. He is so good in coverage, which again, Weren't saying about him a couple of years ago, but as I say, he's our team captain. He's the heart and soul of the defense, really. Everything runs through him. 
and he's had a monster season. He won the Buckus and the Chuck Bednarik Awards. So Buckus is for linebacker. Chuck Bednarik is for defensive player. He won them both. Like, he was that good this year. He's an unrelenting force of nature. So he's got elite range, athleticism, explosion. Against the run, he's amazing. He's a former state wrestling champion. So, like, at 6'4", a knowledge of his wrestling leverage and stuff like that, even the biggest offensive linemen have trouble blocking him. Like, he can shed a lot of them, and he makes so many plays. Again, that's why his productivity is so high. He's got experience on the edge as well. It makes him an effective run blitzer on the interior as well from his experience brushing on the edge. You can line him up on the edge as well. He does get a little bit of success there. 16 sacks. That is nothing to sniff at in a collegiate career there. And in coverage against running backs and tight ends, like, it's over. His build, they've got no chance against him. He's really, really good. Now, the only issue is he had two knee injuries coming out of school. And he had a shoulder injury, which cost him his junior year. So injury issues, but he's had two years of health now. And I don't think it really matters. He's a top 50 pick. I think he's better, the best linebacker in the draft, but maybe I'm a little bit biased. Um, let's move it on. And we've got two groups left now. We're down to the corners. We've got Chris Abrams-Drain from Missouri. Jarvis Brownlee Jr. from Louisville. Elijah Jones from Boston College. Kalen Carson from Wake Forest, the buzz of Rural Lions UK Discord. Johnny Dixon from Penn State. Willie Drew from Virginia State. Cam Hart from Notre Dame. DJ James from Auburn. Kalen King from Penn State. Max Melton from Rutgers. Quinion Mitchell from Toledo, the toast of everybody right now. Josh Newton from TCU. Andrew Phillips from Kentucky. Nehemiah Pritchett from Auburn. Chow Smith-Wade from Washington State. Ryan, who is your corner? I've got Max Melton to the Rutgers corner. So he's had his measurable, so he's clocked in at a, a pretty well-rounded 5'11", 190 pounds, 9-inch hands, with a 32-inch span of 76.38 wing. This guy had a stellar year. The Scarlet Knights this year, they were pretty good. This guy was one of like probably two or three reasons why. 12 games, 32 tackles, four tackles for loss, a sack, three picks, six passes to Bernard, boss rumble, boss recovery. Honorable mention by coaches and media for the 2023 All 10 big team. He wouldn't have looked out of place in Iowa or Michigan. He was that good this year. He is stout. He is brilliant. He is just as comfortable playing press man, coming up to line of scrimmage and getting hands in the line. I say he's got a good pop. He's got good manoeuvrability. The hips flip as soon as he's got to be able to turn and track a receiver downfield. But he'll do his best stuff off coverage. A little bit of cushion. That means he can watch the player develop. He's got eyes like he's looking at the receiver, but he knows what's happening in the backfield. He doesn't have to stare at the quarterback. He can just glance. And then it's all about reading the eyes, the hands, the hips, the feet of the receiver. And he travels with them really well. Sticky coverage. He has got brilliant ball skills. He's physical at the line, where it says uh, at the point of contact where there's going to be a contested catch. He plays bigger than he is. He's very strong. And 
he's able to rip balls out. He's able to take them away. He understands when he knows he needs to break and turn an undercut or rope. He's got the finishing ability to generate turnovers. All the good play and everything he does, he makes it count because he makes big things happen. He can take the ball away. He can rip it out. He can get a hand in, break up the pass. He finishes players. He's very rarely beaten deep. He does not give up on anything and he does his best to win on the outside. He's not scared to play the run. The only issue is that with his size, he basically is one of those, he dives at the knees. He tries to go for the feet. He tries to go low. He tries to blow the ball. And up until now, he's done all right. It's worked as a pro against the bigger guys and tight ends, as we've seen like saying in the NFL, that don't work. You get hurt, you just bounce off them, and you got like stiff out into oblivion. So he needs to trust his frame a bit more, get a bit stronger. He'll have to start wrapping up and slowing down a bit more. He can't do everything 100 mile an hour like he wants. So he can't just go through them and chop them down. We see with Kirby, he works for a safety, but for a corner, got a lot more room out there, and you've got the sideline. It's kind of hard to do that, like I say, because you're not coming down, you're coming at an angle. And yeah, it, it can make you pace. Yeah. Trust his tackling a little bit more, get a little bit cleaner in that side. And he's going to be one of the best draft corners in the draft. Special teams, I expect him day one compete. If he's not one of the first people there, then something's gone wrong. And I'd be mad at him. Like I say, but yeah, he has had a huge year. He's done his draft stock the world of good. Really big play in the Big Ten, which is a great DB conference in general. And he's put his hat in there. To be like, he's mentioned with like Cooper DeJore and Mike Sims still like, he should be looked at in that kind of tier as like the top guys. So yeah, he's done himself the world good and I've really enjoyed watching him this year. And the Rutgers in general, their secondary was really good across the board. I saying he was a leader on that team. Yeah, they have been very, it's just a testament to the corner class this year, isn't it? It's deep, like it's deep, deep, deep. There's so many great guys in there. The guys um, that listed safety as well that have also played corner. Like yeah. Malcolm Stafford, he's practicing yeah. at corner. Like so he's he's a lot smaller. He's like five nine, five ten. But that guy's projected to run like a four four. Mm-hmm. And he uses elite recovery speed. And he comes down so hard. For someone small and does get beat, he's super physical and got really good ball skills. He's a lot smaller than a lot of guys, but also a lot faster. Yeah, you shoot that can. It's kind of like Buddha Baker because he does. He did play safety at Wake Forest, but he comes down so fast and so hard to like generate the power he needs to bring some of these guys down. He's one of those tweeners. And I saw today he's had a good day playing corner, so I think he could be looking at those. He offers versatility. I like mystique. I like, but Carson, yeah, Wake Forest as well. They got some good DBs as well here as well this year. Like everyone's trying to find the next Brian Branch now. Like when we get onto the safeties in a minute, there's just a lot of hybrid guys like trying to find that next guy who does it. But I guess the big story before I go over some of my corners is Quinion Mitchell. Like everyone wondered, he's the group of five guy now. Like I think PFN mocked him in the top five. Like at one point. I know Matt has said like he's a top 10 potentially guy, but Corey Davis was the last group of five player drafted top five, which is like 2016, 17. It doesn't happen often. Hell, the FCS have had a top pick since then, but I mean, 
he looks the best corner there, doesn't he? Like, if you if you talk about the senior ball and who it's good for, like the big prospects, you know what you're going to get with them. But him showing it against power five receivers, like, he looks potentially the best corner in this draft, doesn't he? Yeah, he's having a stellar. Just watching clips, like, he's physical. Sticky. He's one-on-one, he's, one -on -one, he's dominant. And he's like 6'2", isn't he? Mm. Like, he's also got that, he's got a rare frame. He's kind of like, it's the whole package that no one just really knew about. Like it's I said, like, one on one drills, the game, like it won't matter what happens to him in the game because everyone's seen him in like drills and one on ones. And like, he's dominating receivers and running backs coming out of the backfield. Like, say, like, he's winning them reps and he's already won the senior ball, essentially. Mm, he looks like he's just super glued himself to whoever he's with. He's just so sticky. Like, you can't get rid of him. You can't shake him. Like, these are some good receivers he's coming up against. Him just like a lot of good slots and shifty guys. And... Yeah, him and that, them two, just like trading blows. <laughs> two of the best route runners on outside of the ball. It's fun to watch. Yeah, like, hopefully, they li I think, I hope they line up along uh, against one another. Like, that's the matchup you want to see in a game like that. But the dude is insane. Um, anywho. I've got a couple of guys in here. So Elijah Jones was the first I wanted to mention. Um, he's the corner from Boston College now. I know us as Lions fans have PTSD about this because the last corner drafted from Boston College was Will Harris, and we know how that one worked out. However, doesn't mean you can't go back to the well to do better next time. He spent six years there, 2,253 snaps at centre, 283 in the slot. 123 in the box and 60 off the edge. So predominantly corner, but they do a little bit of everything with him on occasion. He's 109 of 221 on targets. He only gives up 49% when it comes to his targets. Seven interceptions, 30 pass breakups, 161 tackles, 14% missed tackle rate, meh, 37 run stops, two forced fumbles. He's 6'2", 184 pounds. Really good size. He is the BC Bullhawk. Like, he is highly instinctive. He loves nothing more than sitting in zone coverage and playing chess with an offense. His eye movement, his awareness, and he has this snake-like ability to just strike on a route. Like, you'll see it developing. You, 30 pass breakups, seven interceptions. Like, this is a guy who can break roots up, who can jump them who can get ahead of his receiver and just knows how to make plays. But it's not just that. He's got a great straight line speed, so the quicker guys who run at him, he can stay with them. He can still break it up further down the field. It's not just the short to intermediate stuff. The run defense needs work with him, which is which is where the big issue is going to be. It ties in with the missed tackle rate. He misses a lot of tackles. The technique is not good. He takes the wrong angles. It's a little bit of a pain. But... And the highly advanced route runners... If they like double move him, he does have issues with his balance and that there. But overall, there's a lot to like. These are like coachable issues with him. He will immediately slot into his own system. If you want someone to go in there and go after the ball, not necessarily against the run, but on passing downs, I think you can pretty much plug and play him right away. His coverage appeal will have a lot of suitors, specific suitors who play that system. But we do that a lot. And I quite like him. So we will see there. The other guy I had was Chris Abrams drain the Missouri corner. However, I'm going to leave that for, because again, he's another, I think he's a first round talent. He doesn't get talked about enough at the corner. So I'm going to go and do a video on him, but very shortly, 
He's had four years at Mizzou, uh, 1,400 snaps at corner, 502 in the slot, 174 in the box, 15 on the defensive line, and he's had 35 at free safety. They move him around a lot. Um, 82 of 158 on targets. That's only 51%. Seven interceptions. Another with 30 pass breakups. 150 tackles. Just a 7% missed tackle rate. 41 run stops and a forced fumble. He does what Elijah can't. He tackles well. He's just as big a ball hawk in a secondary that has been amazing this year. Like They've got three draftable prospects coming in this year. Potentially two of them in the first round. That's how good they've been, but I'll save the main meat about him for another time. But Abrams Drain, like everybody's sleeping on him, and they shouldn't. I think he's going to go really high in the draft. And let's finish it off with the safeties, and then we can take questions and other little parts we've had about this, or quickly talk about the specialists, or the safeties, or the hybrids, the nickels, whatever you want to call them now. Cole Bishop from Utah, Bo Braid from Maryland, Javon Bullard from Georgia, Jaden Hicks from Washington State, Cameron Kinchins from Miami, Malik Mustafa from Wake Forest, Keaton Oladapo from Oregon State, Josh Proctor from Ohio State, Jalen Simpson from Auburn, Tyke Smith from Georgia, Sione Varki from Utah, James Williams from Miami of Florida, and Evan Williams from Oregon. Ryan, who is your safety? Speaking of Brian, next Brian Branches, I think this guy has probably watched highlights I played this year. I've got Cole Bishop from Utah. Maybe he's the white Brian Branch. So 6'2", 200 pounds, give or take. Three years, 195 tackles, 11 passes defended, a forced fumble, three interceptions. Apparently this guy is expecting to run a 4'5 to a 4'6". So he can run, he can shift. Let's say he's got decent speed. He's got a great frame for a safety or a, a nickel, whatever you want to call him. He plays it all. He just needs to add some weight. Like I said, when he's got 6'2", he's got good hands. Actually, he's got elite hands. This guy apparently can cover tight ends. He can cover running backs, receivers out of the slot. He can do everything. So two years ago, when targeted, he surrendered a rating of QB rating 107.4. Not good. Last year, 104.2. Not great. This year, came all the way down to 66. So he gave up a very low rating when he was targeted by opposing quarterbacks. So he had a great year this year. Now, I read, uh, I think it was the draft network said, this guy could be the best blitzing DB in the class. Three sacks this year, one and a half last year, and the year before that, also three sacks. He disguises coming up to the line incredibly well and he uses that straight line speed to knife in there. Quarterback's worst nightmare is they don't know he's coming and he's lined up in the nickel just like Brian Branch does. He don't need to look at the quarterback. He already knows there's no running back there to pick up the blitz. He'll tally ass. He's gone. He's going to finish. This guy is a very good all-rounder. It's a bit like Max Mellon. Got the size but not the weight which tells me he sometimes like he tries to like be too aggressive. Like he tries to blow players up, drop the shoulder when he could slow down, break down, and wrap up. A lot of times it works. This guy is a physical tackler with elite ball skills. There are times where he will whiff, could turn into a big player, get egg on his face. So the tackling technique can improve, 
like you say, you can't always go out there and not every tackle is going to be the money shot. You just got to finish it and end it then. But for as a well-rounded guy this guy is, I think he's one of the more well-rounded, maybe better safeties in the class. Experienced, he's got size. And if he can line up against tight ends, that's kind of half the battle these days for a guy that's got to be a nickel or a strong safety because they kind of try like to prey on you. But this guy's got some of the best ball skills in the class, apparently. So I think Cole Bishop could do pretty well in this draft. And he's coming from one of the best defences in college football last year. It's just they didn't have an offence to back it up. He was used really well. And and that's kind of the name of the game with all these safeties now is how much can you do with them? Like, and how can they, you know, how much can they do at a really good level across the board? And so for my first guy, like this is, he's the epitome of this kind of new breed they're trying to bring out. So Keaton Oladarpo, this is another Oregon State guy. I've been watching the Beavers a lot in this draft process so far, but he spent five years there. But just listen to his snap deployment. So 869 snaps at free safety, 860 in the box, 757 in the slot, and then he's got over 100 at edge and he's got 55 at corner. Like He is the Beavers' Swiss army knife who does a lot very well and is really intriguing. So he's 74 of 122 on target. So 60% but safeties generally give up more than corners do. Three interceptions, 19 passes broken up, eight sacks, four forced fumbles, 252 tackles, 12% missed tackle rate, but again, a bit higher with safeties. He's 6'1", 270, 217 pounds, sorry. Really effective blitzing defender. Like I say, you've got eight sacks in there. You've got a whole bunch of quarterback hits and pressures as well, but he does it against the quarterback or the running back. They will bring him up in both facets of the game to make plays in the backfield. He's got amazing burst and acceleration like his closing speed making those plays he's a nightmare for offensive linemen to have to deal with as an extra run defender but you know if it's between the tackles coming downhill he's strong he's powerful he's disciplined as well he doesn't get forced out of his rushing lanes or his his gap defense system you know he he stays disciplined he's there when needed to be and if there's a hole appears he'll go plug it if the running back is coming through it and this works and because he's like a hybrid everywhere, his work in the secondary has developed his coverage skills. So what they do is they bring him forward as a linebacker in like obvious passing plays, and they use him like against slots, tight ends, people who are generally given. If someone's given them trouble, he's the guy they call. They bring him up, and because he's got the movement skills of a guy in the secondary, but he could got the build of a linebacker and plays like a linebacker. He's a really good coverage linebacker. Like that's part of his appeal of his skill set there. Like he'll match up against anyone you want to, though. If you want him on the perimeter against a big wide outside receiver, he'll go do that if you want. He might lose, but you know, very willing, very able. He's got three years as well of really extensive use in this hybrid role. It's not like he's played slot one year and then linebacker the next. Like he plays a variety of positions every single season. He's been doing it for three years. He's got it nailed down to a T. He's one of the best hybrid guys in this draft. If that's someone that you're looking for, like the open field tackling's a bit iffy. And again, problem with us, with guys like that, can it be solved? 
Um, can does need to work on his transitions a bit, sort of when the really deep shots are getting taken downfield on him again against the really fast guys. And the scheme versatility, will it hurt him? I don't think so. I think it'll be I think it'll be a bonus for him. He will be a great developmental do-it-all safety at the next level. You'll start him probably just as a free safety, you'll work him in, but he's got the potential to work all over. And I really, really like him. I didn't really have a favorite safety this year, and he's he's put his name out there as well. And then the other one I want to quickly mention, I've been going a while so long on this, but Tyke Smith, the Georgia safety, two years at West Virginia, three at Georgia. When we started doing the show, actually, like he he was the big name. Like everything was expected of him when he transferred from Georgia to West Virginia. He lost his first season to injury. And then Georgia had that historic season where their defense was like the best that ever lived. And everyone kind of just forgot about him. But he's another hybrid. 1,300 snaps in the slot, 416 in the box, 141 at the edge. He's also played at corner and free safety as well. He's 63% on his targets, 93 of 148. Eight interceptions, 12 pass breakups, four sacks, two forced fumbles, 201 overall tackles for him. He's 5'10 and he's 205 pounds. And every time I see him play, I know it's Tyke Smith, but I see CJ Gardner-Johnson there with him. Like, that is his potential. He's got a long way to go, but he's a bit undersized. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He plays aggressive. He's quite versatile as to where you can line him up. Like... You could get almost a CJ Gardner Johnson light out of him, and you're probably gonna be spending a day three pick there. But he's he's insanely talented. He's another one, really good in coverage, really good against the run. Most of his picks came this year, so the production on the ball, like the ball hawkishness, has come out with him this year. Like last year, he was recovering from his injury; he wasn't at his best. We saw the best iteration of him this season. So I'd be interested to see. He's another one. I think I picked him in a mock draft last year, but again, it didn't pan out. So I'm interested. A lot of interesting guys here, Rai. Um, But that's about it, unless there's any other safeties you want to quickly mention. Well, we have to mention Simone Varke, the best two-way yeah. player in the nation. Yeah. Everyone tends to have this on that. This guy managed to play the entire season playing strong safety and running back and did really well at both. And that's unheard of. Travis Hunter was okay at both, but ultimately, I thought it was a bit of a liability at times of corner. But this guy was brilliant and was the reason you touched. We won a lot of games. He made massive plays on both sides of the ball consistently all year. Now, he's not doing that in the NFL because no one's going to let him. <laughs> but like, the guy is a proper, like, just, just do it all guy. And he's not the biggest either, but he's super physical and he looks like an actual running back out there and could play in the slot and play safety. So, yeah, really intriguing prospect. I'd be interested to see where they let him play in the senior bowl. Like, I'm assuming they're going to do safety, but I don't know. Maybe they'll let him carry it a few times and see what it... It's a little wrinkle that you could have, bringing your safety out as a running back. But he, he is talented. He, he does it better than Hunter does. But, you know, that'd probably be sacrilegious to say that. And then just in terms of the specialists... So we've got to mention them, got to show special teams some love. Long snappers are Peter Bowden from Wisconsin and William Moat from Georgia. 
Kickers Joshua Carty from Stanford and Will Reichard from Alabama. He's got to be drafted. And the punters, Austin McNamara from Texas Tech and Tory Taylor from Iowa. And I mean, like, we know the Iowa punter is going to be good because that's all he, he's probably the busiest player on their offense this year. So, you know, fair play to him. But yeah, that is the Shrine Bowl roster there for you. As I say, you've seen some of the guys already doing well. You've uh, some stories coming out. There's going to be a lot more coming out over the next few days. Same with the Shrine Bowl as well. If you've got some questions you want to ask us before we get out of here, let us know. I know there are a couple on the docket which I need to get back to. So let me head back on up. Oh, where was it? It was from Ken. Uh, he goes, which position groups do you think have the most outstandingly dynamic players in out of this? So who has the most dynamic players in the positional groups? At the senior bowl. Uh, See, I'd say it's the safeties. Like the safeties are just like <laughs> there's a lot of hybrid, a lot of good hybrid guys in there. I think there's a lot of dynamic playmakers to be had in that safety group. Maybe the same with the corners as well. Uh that's who I go for, but what about you? I'd probably say like I'd say the inside linebackers. Mm. I think it's a really good group. The outsiders, the tweeners, mm, but no, there's there's some proper. There'll be some game changers in these linebackers. Yeah, that would agree. There's a lot of experience in the linebackers. That there just seems to have been in general. Like when we did the Hula Bowl, they were the most experienced group. When we did the Shrine Bowl, most experienced group. There was there was a lot to be had there. Um, Lisa goes, what do you think of Chop Robinson, the Penn State edge who keeps getting drafted to us? I don't know. I'm not feeling edge in the first this year. I, I no. I, I'm the same. I'm I with you. Yeah, he's not a first round prospect for me. I don't want to be spending one on edge, and I don't think he's first round caliber. Like I want to avoid him like the plague, and I want to avoid who's the Miami DT Leonard Williams. Is it Leonard? Leonard Taylor. Leonard yeah. Taylor. Inside, yeah, inside guy, yeah. I want to avoid him like the plague because he gets mocked to us as well. It's like, no, not taking a DT who has a 30% missed tackle rate and has actually not done much in college. It's just his measurables. I hate measurable pajama warriors. Um, we did have another question. If you've got anything else, let us know. But I remember very earlier on in the show, we were asked about... And you mentioned this last week, and Matt's been mentioning this. Quintez Stiggers, so the Canadian draft prospect who we talked, oh, who you talked about, sorry, in the Shrine Bowl last week, because you obviously watch a lot of Canadian football. But I think the question was in regards to how if he if he is going to be drafted, how high do you reckon like he could get in this draft if he is to be? Because obviously you know him, you know his skill set a lot more. Like what what would be his ceiling in the draft for? For our Canadian football player, Cat, he probably will go high on day three. I think he's going to be in that. I think when the people look at like probably that CFL, they'll probably say he's the equivalent of like HBCU football, FCS. He's probably getting drafted in like day three, like those corners would be. Like, it's pro football. But he's also only got only one year of it as well. So he's still vastly inexperienced. So he might not get drafted at all, I'm completely honest. Like I said, we've seen some of the best players in Canada come here and not even get picked up by the Lions where it's out match your bets, the defensive player of the year. 
didn't get signed and he's on like 26, 27. So it, it's hard. Like the CFL players, they just do not make it in the NFL, even some of the best. But luckily he's a he's a rookie basically. He's only twenty two. So he's the kind of guy that you keep around. Like being North American, obviously don't qualify for the IPP, so he has to be on a practice squad. But I reckon Ha ha, do you reckon he can get where where would you draft him if you could? Like this is you being GM here. What grade would you put on him? I'd probably give him like 200 to 250. What's that, round six to round seven? Yeah. yeah I'd give him that. And then I'd probably the practice squad more, yeah. Like, say, like the Jags did with Nathan Rock. I think yeah. he's going to need a year or two. He's going to benefit more on a practice squad than not getting drafted and going back to the CFL. I know all yeah. the CFL teams, I think, want him. And I'm pretty sure he's a free agent, but I still think he'll benefit more on a practice squad than he will, unless he can go back to like Toronto, Winnipeg, and win the Great Cup, come back in a year, but then he won't qualify for the draft. He'll just be a free agent. So yeah, this this is a be interesting to see how it pans out because I'm pretty sure he's got special dispensation to enter the draft, never being in college. So yeah, it's kind of a one shot thing. But yeah, he'll be the kind of player that will probably bounce around for it. If he doesn't get drafted, don't get picked up, I think he probably should go to like the UFL. Oh yeah, the new hybrid league. Yeah. I was just about to say that that, that could the be UFL his before going back to the CFL. Because we picked up um what's his face, the returner from on the back of the USFL, didn't we? Maurice Alexander, who's just yeah. got a futures contract with us. So he's still here. So he's yeah. still hanging on. Yeah, they've been announced, but if he's not drafted, I reckon some team will probably try to pick him up, even mid-season. I reckon oh, yeah. that'll be a path to the NFL for him as well. He goes and does well there, then, yeah, he's done it in CFL and UFL. Probably works his way into an NFL roster. Mm. It'd help if he... I don't know if he's got a combine invite, but that would help his uh, cause a lot there. Um, Lisa also asks, what about our boy Jazane Newton? Brooks has him going 28th to Buffalo. There is no way in hell Jazane Newton gets past... 15. I, you know what? I'm even go high. There are no defensive tackles in this draft. Like two of them have a what ground have a round one grade. Jazane Newton and, uh, oh Christ, who's the Texas one again? I keep forgetting him. Um, Sweat. Is it Sweat? No, it's the other one. Sweat's the edge. Who's the Texas DT I'm thinking of? I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Anywho. There's two defensive tackles that have round one grades on them. If a team needs one, they'll get him. He's not going... If he's there past 20, I'm banging the door, Brad Holmes's door, to his office saying, trade up and get him. Like, I will give assets away to get that man. So there's no way he's going 28. Not even close. You've seen him play. You've seen us do the tape on him. He's just far too explosive and disruptive and everything you want in an interior lineman. And in this day and age... DTs can win your games. So you pair him with Aleem, things will go absolutely crazy. Um, DJ doesn't have him in the first round. That's crazy. Like, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> Check him at 29. The league is getting silly if they give us keep giving us this much talent at this time. So, yeah, um, I think we're about there. Um, anything else you want to mention senior ball-wise or anything? Anyone else who's taken you, you know, any... 
I mean, I guess we can talk about the Shrine Ball very quickly. If there's any, there anyone who stood out the Shrine Ball you've seen? Because I know Christian Boyd has done incredibly well, the Northern Iowa defensive tackle, and Evan Anderson, who I have to retract here. I called him 360 pounds last week. He's dropped to 320. I don't know how the hell he's dropped that much weight so quickly, but the Florida Atlantic tackle, like they were both my interior guys and they look amazing. But have you seen much of the Shrine Bowl? Anyone standing out there for you? Uh, I'm not seeing a ton of it, but from the East West to Shrine Bowl to now, I know Jalen Cook yesterday got his invite to the combine. Oh, so, really? Oh, yeah, two Holy Cross players that they got invited. So he's had a really good couple of weeks. I believe there's like five FC, all like five FCS players now going to the combine. So yeah, he's had, he's been on the scene now all over for the last few weeks, which is really good for him. Definitely. Um, so hang on, let me just message Matt here. Do, 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 do. So let's say if you've got any more questions you want to ask us before we get out of here, then just let me know. I'm just going to go through the next shows and things first quickly. Um, this goes, I think we have a good chance to get him again. If we have Jose Newton on this team, the league is going to be sorry. Like our defensive line is going to be so great. He's he's number one pick in the first round for me right now at any position. I take him any day of the week. So in regards for future shows, um, as I say, now the Detroit Lions season is over, there will be no more shows on Thursdays because there's no more games for us to preview anymore. So the main Detroit Lions podcast will be back on Mondays only for the time being. We might decide to come up with some new shows or whatever, but next week we'll be previewing the Super Bowl, which is going to be heartbreaking because we were so close to getting there. And then myself and Ryan will be back next week on the College Pod. We'll be reviewing the Shrine and Senior Bowl. We'll do both at the same time, the standouts, the players who've benefited, and then we'll uh, take a look ahead because the next things after this... Obviously, we've got the HBCU Legacy Bowl, but that's not till the end of February. I need to talk to Gerald and um, uh, Dave, get them back on the show. We'll do a HBCU show, hopefully. I know Gerald's at the Shrine Bowl this week because he's coaching there. Congratulations to him. Uh, so when he's done with that, hopefully we'll be able to get him on. And then it'll be Pro Days and Combine. So, I mean, we're already quite far along in the process, right? It's only 12 weeks before the draft. Um it's weird, isn't it? Because the lines have gone for so long this year. It's not actually that long until all the main stuff starts happening. No, pro days will be in what? March? Because it'll be in March. Yeah, and we've got our, I think it's March the 14th, we've got our first hybrided pro day. So it's the Big 12 pro day where they're all doing it together. Oh, the conference pro days, yeah, they do them now, don't they? Well, I think it's just the Big 12 this year, if I remember rightly. They're the first ones who are trialing it, but it's expected to go around. So every Big 12 team, it, they're going to be like mini combines for the conferences, which actually is going to be a lot nicer. You can have everyone under one roof. It's going to make things so much more easier. So, But yeah, pro days, combine, and then draft. So absolutely great. Thank you to everyone who's joined us this evening. We appreciate you all for doing so. It's been nice to do a live show and be able to interact with you whilst we do it. Um, let's see. Hope you've enjoyed the Shrine Bowl coverage, the Senior Bowl coverage, the breakdown of the rosters. Hopefully you've got a few people to keep an eye out on now. Um, you know where to find us, Royal Lines UK, all over the internet, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. However you want to find us, just type in the name 
and you will find us. We will see you again next Monday, as it stands. Have a lovely weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week. Looking forward to seeing you again very soon. It remains for me to thank Ryan. Appreciate this, as always, getting into our getting into our groove now with draft season underway. And uh, yeah, we'll see you again next Wednesday. Thank you, Mar Marker. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, everyone who's been in. Take care. One pride. Mm -hmm.